Hey everybody, I'm Raymond. And I'm Bake. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the new limited series from Mike Flanagan on Netflix, Midnight Mass. This week we're covering the third episode, book three, Proverbs. <laughs> Glad you caught that. Yeah. I had that little typo on the agenda. <laughs> <laughs> in my excitement over this episode that was overlooked so my apologies um oh my gosh this episode i am i i was just telling you Paige, before we hit record here that um i i, I feel like i'm just about ready to burst yeah. um with excitement to talk this there's, episode how are you feeling this week oh my god there's so much in this episode and a lot of like the really like ah stuff is like right there at the end Mm-hmm. Because, like, for most of the episode, I was, like, excited to talk about this one. Because I was like, oh, like, all, like, the really, like, scary monster storyline. They're not even going to touch it this week, is what I'm thinking. Like, <laughs> but I was like, but I'm still so excited because there's so many powerful emotional moments in this episode. Oh that I was God, just like, yeah. oh, my God. Like, even if they took the horror completely out of this episode, it is so gripping and just such an incredibly written piece of television. And then, and then it went there at the end with everything, like, answered the questions and mysteries that we've kind of had, and, like, mm-hmm. makes me feel all smart, because, like, ooh, we got that right, and we nailed that, and we... <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna try not to, like, go into that too much um, while we're going through this, but I'll say I was feeling pretty good about yeah. things that we were uh, saying um, before, so, mm, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't feeling so bad about myself. Yeah. <laughs> Not to brag, I'm not going to do that. But uh, we hit some we hit some things on the head, um, mm. in some of our um, even just in the first two episodes that we've covered. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I felt pretty good about that. I'm not usually, and I mean, I wasn't right. We well, we because we were both um, had a lot of theories and things um, that we were tossing around. Uh, you know, maybe not exactly right on everything, but definitely yeah. some some points that were made. So. Yeah, felt good, and um, and yeah, the heavy hitting moments. Just, I mean, we talked about it. What was in the first episode? I think talking about Mike Flanagan, how he has this perfect blend of, you know, where he can really scare the hell out of you, but at the same time make you cry in the yeah. next scene. And just, I mean, just watching this because we were both just talking, and uh, we both just finished our second watches just prior to recording mm-hmm. right now, and. I'm going to tell you, almost the entire episode, uh, on, on my second watch, I mean, definitely for the first episode, but even just during the second episode, having already seen everything and knowing what happens, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just, like, filled with tears. Yeah. Like, the entire time. I, well, for most of it, except for a few parts I'm sure we're going to talk about, but, um, you know, it's, it's so emotional. And I'm just yeah. thinking, I don't know whether to curse you, Mike Flanagan, or to bow at your feet. Um <laughs> In, in in gratefulness because um, the the places that this dude takes me whenever I watch um, one of his um, you know artistic um, achievements here um, blows me away. Yeah, no, there's and it, it's definitely one of my points, and so I'll talk about the specific instance later. But there's a certain like very uh, specific instance in this episode where, on the first time I watched it, it happened, and I went. <laughs> like literally just like 
just broke down. Like just like, oh. And then the second watch, I was like, knowing it's coming. And I was like, oh, I remember how I reacted to this the first time that it happened. And I went, Burr. like, I just did the same thing. I was like. <laughs> I love it. Like, I even it. knowing it's coming, I reacted the exact same way the second time. I was like, yep, yeah, no, this is just. <laughs> I know. I know. And I laugh only because um, I I can so relate to that. I did the exact same thing. Like, you know, I I had the same exact emotions. And um, even even the second watch, knowing what happens and knowing what's coming, I still was like just crying. And um, God, I'm just I'm so glad that we're covering this. Um, Yes. Okay, so before we get into our top five, I want to talk real quickly about just the episode title. I haven't went too too deep um, into the titles themselves. I mean, we did talk about how um, each um, episode of the series is a book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And this one, as you mentioned, um, is titled Proverbs. And because yeah. I know a lot of folks don't have um, maybe a lot of reference um, or know a lot about religion um, or a lot about the Bible and I certainly don't know everything. I have to look things up. I have to research things. I've been out of practice for a really long time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, but I thought it would be helpful because I feel like the the titles, you know, have to do with the theme of that particular episode and what we're Mm -hmm. talking about, and kind of has a reflection. So, I I wanted to just kind of maybe start talking about that, or at least just right before we jump into our top five. So, Proverbs, um, for those who may not know, is a reference to the book of Proverbs, which is a collection of stories, wisdom, and knowledge, which I think, you know, for this episode is an apt title, Mm -hmm. um, because this episode documents the aftermath of a miracle, in quotes, um, and also sees Father Paul um, reveal what happened to Monsignor Pruitt. Yeah. um, That we, that it, we'll talk about um, that happens in this episode. Um, and then also in regards to wisdom and knowledge, we have the debate um, in the classroom with Sheriff Hassan um, and his debate with, with Bev and, and the decision that she has made to distribute Bibles. Um, and, you know, talking about in that regard, how it's, you know, that he's okay with it as long as it's out of curiosity and a pursuit of knowledge. So I feel like that is what makes this a really clever title um, Mm -hmm. for this episode based on kind of what um, happens in this episode. So just wanted to kind of talk about that and that reference um, before we get started. Yeah. Um, And in a little bit more of an abstract, and as I say the word abstract, I immediately picture Father Paul, abstract, (laughs) 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 colorful exaggeration. Um, But yeah, in the abstract version, I mean, yeah, through his story, we're a little bit more wise to exactly what is happening on the island right now. Uh. Oh, yeah, see that too. We have that knowledge now, yeah. And and yes, and now we have knowledge. So, mm-hmm. yes, I love that. Um, all right, well, let's take that dive into our top five. Oh, I, nice. mind, I didn't mean to. Uh, <laughs> that was not intentional. Um, Pake, what is your number five? All right. This might become a theme. I'm not going to promise it, but so far, three for three. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead. My number five is just get out of the way, like, the point that has the most to do with religion and kind of some of my, you know, connection to that or things, you know, a little more personal views on things like that, which I try to keep too much of my own, you know, from painting certain things, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my number five is just kind of the story we get of Sheriff Hassan this episode. Okay. And, um... Just seeing him first, I just, I like his character, even in the little moments, like kind of during that little montage where it's showing everybody just living their lives and kind of what's going on. 
mm-hmm. and we just get that little moment where you know it just seems to be uh, what happens all the time. It's just routine that he picks right. up picks up Joe, puts him in like the drunk tank cell for the night, and then yeah. in the morning he just gives him coffee and conversation, and it's just like the best he can do for the guy. And it just it's like a quick little thing where like Hassan is a good guy. He's just <sighs> yeah. genuinely a great guy. And then, really, the next time we see him is, yeah, when he finds the Bible in Ali's backpack. And then what that leads to, as you talked a little bit about, is this moment where they're having this meeting in the classroom. And he's just laying out facts. I love it. Of course, it comes with the frustration of Bev just proving herself to be willfully ignorant, being like, you know... Yes. You know, he's saying things like, um, I've studied the Bible. It's actually part of Muslim, like, religion and culture that we believe a lot of what's in the Bible, but then we feel like this has been misconstrued and this and this. And But honestly, like, Jesus and his teachings are actually very important to us. And she's very much, like, stopped in her tracks, like, oh, I didn't know that, but let me just cover it up and double down on my ignorance real quick. You yes. know? Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, that woman. Yeah. Such as, but, but I love how he's bringing up, because his point which I love how Aaron is trying to keep it on track and she's riding with him, but Bev is just gonna is just gonna be Bev and there's no derailing that train. But his issue, of course, is that the relig- specific religious beliefs should not be taught in a public school setting. Mm-hmm. Period. And like I fully agree myself. But then Bev is here trying to make it, you know, oh, that you're just upset because you're a Muslim and you don't like Jesus being taught. And he's like, well. That's actually not the issue, because I've studied the Bible as well, but what you're doing isn't letting kids learn things for themselves. You're teaching them solely based off of your own personal personal viewpoints as a fact, and that's what's wrong. That is what's wrong. (laughs) And Bev just doesn't care. Uh, And you just see him kind of like all the wind out of his sails at the end, where like once people start rallying behind what she's going on about, there's a religious revival, and then people are clapping, and he's like, fuck uh, it. I just, you see him I deflate, know. like, it's not even worth fighting this battle anymore. Damn. Like. <laughs> so disappointing. I really, really wanted more people to speak up, but I know mm-hmm. that like this whole, the whole community is really caught up in what's going on, or at least, you know, with, with what happened to Lisa, and that's where everyone is focused. It's still pretty new for them, and. Yeah. You know, so they're, I think, not willing to argue against it, you know, whereas if this hadn't happened, maybe they would, you know? Yeah. And then uh, that leads then to his conversation with Ali, which is kind of the mm-hmm. other half of this point, is that speech that he gives, which is really cool because it's another, like, kind of uh, criticism on religion and the, like, kind of healing powers of God kind of viewpoints and things. But they take it from another religious viewpoint, from the point of a practicing Muslim, and how his religion ties into how he's viewing this situation. And I think that's really cool, this whole... I mean, like, the point it takes is, you know, will God choosing to heal some people and not others, and how that doesn't line up with his beliefs and, and what he views as, like, morally and ethically right with what a God would do. And so I know I'm sure people listening to this podcast know where I stand on a lot of these things at this point, so I don't need to talk about it too much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just think even my specific beliefs and stuff aside, that speech that he gives to his son is just a powerful piece of dialogue and really gives you another, like, deep look into the theme of this, ep- like, the theme of this show when it comes to religion but mm-hmm. then also just that character. And then Rahu Kohli, just bravo again. Just an incredible actor giving God, such a great so speech. Good. 
Yes. And then we get some backstory again on them, and we'd find out about his wife and, you know, Ollie's mother and what happened. I know. Yeah. That she died of pancreatic cancer earlier on before they moved to the island. And I guess they moved to the island to kind of get a fresh start, new surrounding. Interesting and, place to do that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I still don't know what led them to that specific spot. I know. Yeah. But then I guess also Ollie says something about, and eh, plus you're... you're previous precinct was too fucking racist and he's like hey let's not go in there but uh <laughs> he didn't go to a much better place to be right. honest i mean some folks i feel like are okay but there's you know at least with bev i think she makes up for just about everyone's mm-hmm. you know attitude right um, and then she has to paint that whenever he has that worry where he's like you know if i went around passing around the quran you'd run me out of town and she has to play that little bit it makes me so sad oh. that you would view me that way, that I would do... Shame oh, shut you. up, Beth. I know, just shut up. Just shut <laughs> the frig up. <laughs> you know, yes. But yeah, and then, of course, in, in classic Flanagan style, we got a, you know, exclamation point that speech with the quick flash of the angel at the window. Oh, my uh. God. <laughs> I'm just going to call him angel. It's not an angel, I don't think, but... uh that's the term we get from from Father Paul or whatever it's, in in his what thing. What we're going with so, for now, yeah. I'm, a, I'm just oh going to have it in my notes, but I had to rewind it because I didn't catch it the first time. It is so quick. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, oh, well, I got it, and um, and his reaction was my reaction because uh, I was I was watching it in the dark. I thought, oh, I'm gonna chill here in bed, you know, and I'm gonna, you know, everything was dark. It was quiet, and that was my exact reaction because I did not miss it. It's, I was shocked at how many people online did miss it. A lot of people were like, oh my gosh, I didn't see anything. What are you guys talking about? What was that in the window? And I'm like, holy crap, check your settings on your TV. Y'all, right. um, y'all need to adjust your, uh, like, was it like the blackness or something on your mm-hmm. on your screen? Whew. And I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing that you missed it. I mean, maybe you were better off. I don't know. <laughs> because, damn. <laughs> but yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it was like the fir- first, um, because we didn't get to the end yet Yeah, to, to actually see it. That was like the first like close-up view of this thing that we've been seeing in the dark with the eyes. Um, so, why the hell don't people close their windows, right. shut their blinds, and mm-hmm. the hell? Anyway. Yeah, you don't see something like that and be like, oh, I guess I'm just seeing things. I'll leave your window open. Good night, son. Hope you're still there in the morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Oh, there's some glowing eyes staring at me from beyond there in the bushes. Yep. I think we're just going to keep the, the blinds open. Sure. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, and, and Sheriff Hassan was actually my number three. Um, and I, th- I think you covered about everything I wanted to say in, anyway. But it was I, I really did love that it seemed like we got a, a, a pretty good... And I don't know a lot about the Muslim faith. There's, you know, I, I, I find religion to be fascinating i'm not practicing anything in particular but i mm-hmm. like learning about yeah. different religions and i feel like it's okay um to learn about different religions and i wasn't raised that way um yeah i was raised as you know the re- religion i was raised in was the one true religion and i i, I had a hard time believing that that's why I got into a lot of trouble as a kid. I always asked just too many questions. I was just yeah. always like, why? Why? Why this? And why that? Well, how come? And that doesn't make sense to me. Explain to me why. Um, and when I didn't get answers that satisfied me, it, it, it made me disagreeable to what I was being taught. Yeah. Um, 
but I always did at least find religion to be very interesting, and I like learning about other religions. And um, I don't know a lot about the Muslim faith, um, but I really like that they're giving what I feel is a, a pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it is a complete accurate because yeah. again, I don't. Know I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Have, I don't but come I feel from like that. it's a well. And we read. I had that story. Um, from the first episode uh, that um, had the interview with Raul Cooley. Yeah. Um, and he talked about, you know, how they had, a, you know, a consult and they talked very much in depth and had a lot of conversations about it. And he, his goal was to really give as accurate of a picture of um, someone of the Muslim faith as he could. So yeah. I feel like it's a, you know, I feel like a, a pretty accurate, fairly accurate, I'll, I'll say. From, um, from what I've seen online, it seems like they nailed it pretty. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think that's great. I'm glad that they're that you know there's getting some representation. I like when it shows him and his son praying. Um, and I found it really interesting what he was saying in that conversation, you know, in the classroom and talking about, you know, well, we we do believe in in this. we we love that message and completely kind of debunking, mm-hmm. you know, what Bev was saying. You know, he wasn't saying that he wasn't okay with anyone learning about religion. he He likes learning about it, and he finds it fascinating. Um, so I loved all of that, and it was interesting to see how his faith um, ties back to his late wife, yeah, um, and 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 why he thinks of the miracles that are being spoken of, why he finds them insulting, um, you know, uh, yeah. and then yeah, like you said, why would God cure Lisa but not his wife, who even while she was suffering horribly with something terrible, terrible like pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. even through all of that, she continued to honor him. Yeah. You know, and how he's, you know, trying to tell a son, you know, faith is not magic. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I found the whole thing absolutely fascinating yeah. and I think pretty, pretty spot on. And he's definitely one of my favorite characters. And, you know, Raul Coley is just he's so great. We talked about how awesome he was in Bly Manor and what yeah. a great actor he is. And, um, you know, we were talking like, oh, I hope he goes on to so many other, you know, great projects because of, of how great of a job he did. And now we get to see him in this and mm-hmm. can't wait to see what else he does next. And I saw something. I think some people were like voting for him to be like the next doctor. Yeah, I think we talked uh, about that last Who. week or the week before. Yeah. Where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's kind of right. like a fan so, casting for, for the doctor. Yes, where they're like, he's so, in the high, high running. And I was like, I like it. I like gosh, it. he's so good. He's not hard on the eyes at yeah. all um so yeah gr- really great conversation i liked getting a little bit of backstory um i hope we get a little bit more um about how they came to be there maybe what his situation was prior to maybe we won't but i'm glad we got a little bit there yeah um, that was really great um all right well my number five i want to talk about symbolism and how this show and i <laughs> i'm gonna try to talk very carefully about this because I don't want to offend anyone, um, you know, that, that, you know, has some beliefs and such. But I want to just talk about how this show and its symbolism um, foreshadows one character's descent. Um, so this is from an article. I got a lot of this from, from an article, but it is actually from, like, um, the Encyclopedia Britannica, what I'm referencing. But um, obviously one of the biggest subversions of symbolism um, in this episode coincides with Father Paul's confession. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to top it off with that, um, where we get his confession that he yeah. is actually Monsignor John Pruitt, mm-hmm. um, which we had kind of um, debated about and talked about and had yeah. feelings about. 
Um, so what we get um, there, if you notice uh, as he's talking or as he's starting his, his conversation about, um, or when he's starting his confession, they go to um, these pictures of these wooden reliefs yeah. on the wall. Um, so they have crafted those to kind of carefully construct um, Father Paul's confession to correlate with the stations of the cross um, to highlight his descent um, rather than his salvation. So, yeah. So if 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 you're not familiar um, with these, um, I'm going to call them like wooden. They're not. They could be made of anything, but like wooden panels, wooden reliefs um, that are normally in a Catholic church. Um, these are these different stations that goes through the stages of. Um, Jesus carrying the cross okay. on his way to his crucifixion. Um, so, the first one that we have, um, so in the first, or in the stations of the cross, the first station is Jesus, um, is when he's be, uh, been condemned to death. Um, for Father Paul, his story begins with uh, Monsignor John Pruitt's missionary trip to Jerusalem. Um and we hear, you know, about Pruitt's dementia, how apparently it was a lot more advanced um, than what everyone had realized, um, and how Father Paul views that trip as his salvation, which he aligns with the persecution of Jesus um, in, in his missionary trip, and that Father Paul is, is doomed to die. And the second station um, is where we see Father Pruitt wandering off uh, into the desert. I said Father Pruitt, and I meant Monsignor Pruitt, um, <laughs> wanders into the desert. The second station of the cross um, is when Jesus is given the cross that he must carry throughout the streets to the crucifixion. In Father Paul's station, um, it depicts Pruitt wandering into the desert. Um, so it's like a, an association of the metaphorical cross that he bore with his dementia. Yeah. I feel like that's... Wow, that's good. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So, um, and then when he's discussing that part of his confession, Father Paul explains to lies that he will tell his congregation about how Pruitt is recovering on the mainland. Um, and he states that the lies are for their benefit, so when it starts, they'll be ready um, for the miracles that are to come. And it's almost like he's trying to convince himself, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit that he's acting for his parishioner's own good and what's in their best interest. Um, the third station that we're, we're shown is the sandstorm. Um, in the third station in the um, in the church, the stations of the cross, um, that is the first time that Jesus falls when carrying the cross. Um, for Father Paul, it's the sandstorm whenever he wanders off, um, and he states that these storms were increasing in frequency, unearthing long-forgotten ruins. Um, the station of the cross refers to a physical fall with Jesus when he falls with the cross. Father Paul's third station is more of a I think a metaphorical fall and journey downward into temptation. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we get the fifth station where the angel feeds on Monsignor Pruitt. Um, And the fifth station of the cross in the church is where Simon Cyrene helps Jesus carry his cross for a little bit. And this kind of corresponds with the vampire feeding. And I'm calling him in this instance here because it's, I feel like that's, I feel like that's kind of what he is. I don't yeah. know. Um, he's some kind of creature, but for the sake of this, we'll just call him a vampire, um, where he's feeding on Father Paul. And while Simon helps Jerry, uh, Jesus carry his physical cross, Father 
Paul views the angels feeding him as helping him bear and eventually be cured of the burden of fear and dementia. Um, the ninth station where Pruitt names the creature an angel. Um, that is what is depicted on the show, but in the station of the cross, the ninth station depicts Jesus falling with the cross for the third and final time. Um, and while Father Paul is confessing, the ninth station focuses on him identifying the creature as an angel. And while um, the one in the church depicts a physical fall, um, the one for Father Paul reflects a metaphorical fall into delusion. Mm-hmm. Because I believe, anyway, that um, he's kind of delusional as to what this creature is, right? I mean, he's calling yeah. him an angel. And There's I, the line I, where he goes, and the word <laughs> was angel. And I was like, ah, I think you mispronounced vampire. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's sure where I'm you went with, with this? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Not sure about that. So I, I I feel like that that was his view. But, of course, we're feeling like, I don't know, Monsignor, I think you're your dementia is still in your brain a little bit. It's not uh-huh. working and like your brain's not working like you think it is. Um, the 11th station where we see uh, Monsignor John Pruitt, he drinks the angel's blood in the 11th station of the cross. It focuses on when Jesus is nailed to the cross. Um, and of course this is when father Paul uh, drinks the angel's blood. He connects that act of drinking the blood with the consecration of wine and believed it uh, trans transubutation of that wine into Jesus's actual blood during the Catholic Mass. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that have an issue with that and like the symbolism um, mm-hmm. you know, between the two of you know, what's considered to be um, you know, when you go through communion and you're told this is the blood of Jesus mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, gives you life um, to the correlation of a vampire's blood giving mm-hmm. giving life um but just making some obvers- observations don't anyone uh-huh. hate me um <laughs> and then the 14th station Pruitt leaves the cave and brings the angel to crockett island um and in this is where the stations of the cross end but not with and not with jesus's resurrection but instead with jesus's entombment um and here uh, this is where um father paul in his final station he leaves the cave and as he leaves leaves the cave he recognizes that he's been uh, made young again um and that was it that was all of them so nice. i thought that was kind of interesting um i know that the, as soon as i started seeing those on the wall i immediately flashed back to the the stations that i remember in my church and in any catholic church that you go into you'll see those on the wall um and kind of depicts um you know that that imagery of from the time jesus was condemned and carrying the cross and then um and then put on the cross and, and such and how they were, I thought it was a really interesting, um, you know, way that they brought that into um, Father Paul's confession. Um, and I think his fall, it wasn't, I don't think, um, salvation as he sees it as much as his fall. Yeah. So. That was really interesting to me because, again, <clears throat> we've talked about that where I was, I'm not, I, you know, I don't have a Catholic background. I'm Protestant here in you know, the South more a little, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot more uh, Baptist and non-denominational kind of stuff around here. Uh, mm-hmm. And so those, I have no point of reference to. I did not know anything about that. So to me, they're just these like wood carvings is what it looks like to me. So that's kind of more of a Catholic thing, I guess, which is cool. And then I still, I wonder, is it just a visual aid just for the show as it's just making that like symbolism or are they real? Like did, during this journey, did 
Pruitt slash Paul actually like carve these and make these and is he holding on to them somewhere oh would that be interesting mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> i don't know but i liked it and i enjoyed it yeah and i i liked i liked the symbolism and thought it was really interesting and i love how mike flanagan has um kind of merged the two like i said i'm sure there are people who disagree with that um and that's okay um, but I, I thought it was really great. And I just thought a little bit of explanation. Um, I hope it made sense. There was a lot of information there. Um, and anyone who's maybe not familiar, maybe it didn't make a lot of sense. But I just thought to provide a little bit of background to kind of give a little bit of a deeper meaning to the episode. Yeah. You know, that it wasn't just something um, interesting to look at. It actually kind of mirrors. Yeah, um, that's cool. You know, you know, something kind of important to the religion itself. So anyway that's my number five is is symbolism there's i'm sure going to be a lot more symbolism chatter um but that's where i wanted to kind of start off so um what is your number four all right uh my number four is more of a kind of quick little question or mystery to where they kind of set things up and i'm like wondering do you think this is also what happened because i uh, (laughs) and it, it, it revolves around bev and okay Maybe her um, participation in in something that we saw happen. Uh, <laughs> I remember on the same page. Yeah, Let's um, talk about it. Let's hear it. Because we see the first time that, uh, that Father Paul is sick or whatever, and she follows him back to the rectory, back to his house. And as he's in the bathroom, she notices something on the wall. And she... Mm-hmm. And then there's this moment she's looking at it, she goes, and then you hear, it's a miracle. A true miracle, which then you find out it's actually uh, Dolly saying it as it transitions over to Sarah's office with with Lisa. But I think that that transition was done on purpose, where I think Bev is having a realization. Of course, we see at the end of the episode what is what she was looking at this picture, mm-hmm. which is a young father, young Monsignor John Pruitt, who is Father Paul Hill, and sure I think she puts it together. Right there. And of course, she'd be the only one who wouldn't like freak out. She'd accept it as like a gift from God and roll with it and be like, oh, wow. But then what I'm wondering is then we get that montage of people living their lives. You know, we get Ed and Anne dancing and all these other little things. And then a quick little moment mixed into that is Bev returning a can of poison to the <sighs> supply closet. Someone needs to take the keys away from that. I moment. know. And I'm like, did she, <laughs> did she use that for whatever reason? So I'm... At first, I have thought, which this actually goes into a, a later point. So, uh, you know, I'll save that for later. But but we then get Father Paul's death, in quotes. Uh, mm-hmm. and of course, very reminiscent of Pike, Joe's dog, in the previous episode. Yeah. With the, the kind of frothy blood and choking on it. And all you could, I was like, was, was he poisoned? And then we see Bev had the can of poison earlier. It made sure to show that and so the question that it makes me pose is did bev poison father paul on purpose either because she was scared of what she saw or on the other the flip side of that she was in awe of what she saw and she decided she wanted to test his immortality or something like that and i don't put anything past her at this point so was she involved in that? And then what was the reason why? And we don't have an answer, but I wonder what you think about it. I when, I mean, it took me a little bit to kind of get there. I, I, I feel she did see something 
because uh, we don't see what she is looking at. We just see her. Yeah. The, the the focus is on her. She's staring at something on the wall. But then, like you said, we see it later, that picture um, of a young Monsignor who we know to be Father Paul, as he is now. Um, so it helped kind of connect the dots. And then, yes, like you said, she, she had the poison and put it away. We know that she poisoned uh, Joe's dog. Uh, Father Paul, ha- like, had uh, some type of, like, seizure and had the same type of incident that seemed to happen to the dog. So I do believe that Bev poisoned Father Paul very much like she did the dog. I don't know when she did it. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure I understand why she did it. I'm, I'm convinced, so I'm going to talk like she did it. Um, mm-hmm. And I could be wrong, but um, I'm not entirely sure why she did it. If she was, um, like you said, oh, it's a miracle, she says. Uh, and is she testing that? Like, I don't think that she thinks that there's some t- type of vampire creature that no. has maybe provided him some type of immortality or something. I, I think she's just viewing it as a miracle, and is she testing that miracle? Um, or was she doing it for, like, a little more malevolent? Like, she, with the Monsignor away... And when the Monsignor was of not right mind, I I fully 100% believe that she was taking advantage of the fact that he was um, suffering from dementia. Yeah. And, you know, she's able to pretty much just run the church. She can make all the calls. She, as we know, um, everyone knows what she did with or how she convinced everyone to take their settlement money and give like to the church and build this rec center and you know, felt like she probably used that to launder some money. Um, so is she afraid that whatever it is that's happening with Father Paul, that she's now not going to be able to get away with that type of thing? Or was she testing, like, this miracle, as as, as we call it? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what exactly her reasons why and when she did it and um, – but she seemed very happy when he came back. Um, and she, I feel like she knows, like she knows something. She knows at least that Father Paul is the Monsignor. She called him Monsignor there at the end. She didn't yeah. call him Father Paul. She said, oh, Monsignor, Monsignor. Yeah. But I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. And so that's really the only, like my point was, I was just like, I've got these pieces and they're all coming together, but what picture are they making? I don't know. Like, where did they come from? Why are these pieces together? I don't. I feel like we got the edges, um, but I don't know. We don't have that middle part yet to yeah. put it all together. <laughs> Pake. So that's, that's, I'm with you. I feel like we've gotten the start of this puzzle. Um, we just need the middle pieces to kind of find out why I'm with you though. Um, well, and I'm curious, this was actually my number one was Bev's involvement and what, what our thoughts were. And if you, um, had the same thoughts as I did, um, about this and you do. Um, so I'm curious. Um, so now that we've learned that this creature, whether or not you want to call him a vampire, vampire, like whatever he is, um, you can't deny the similarities in the lore here. So in most vampire lore, you can drink the blood from a vampire and be considered a fledgling. Like you're not a full vampire. You get the benefits like, Oh, you feel great. You feel revived. You feel refreshed and anew, just like you're seeing what's happening on the Island. Um, You know, Lisa is, is, is able to walk again. Ed's backache is gone and he's got a spring in his step. Um, 
Riley's mom doesn't need glasses. We see Sarah's mom, um, uh, her dementia, gone. Yeah. She's not quite de-aged or anything like that, but her dementia is is gone. And um, and her um, she had a broken hip, so she wasn't able to use the stairs. So that seems to have repaired. Um, mm-hmm. So clearly there are some things. And then um, Father Paul um, Monsignor, he's um, kind of went back in, in age. So you don't have the full effects yet. So you're kind of considered a fledgling. So in vampire lore, um, I, I think what happened here, um, father Paul, he died, right? I mean, we saw him die. Yeah. There at the end, right? I mean, I feel like that was cause everybody was like freaking out and I feel like he died. Um, well, he came back. So do we think he's like a full vampire now? Cause that's, you, you you can't I, become look people i know my vampires okay i've been obsessed with vampires since like 5 years old um it, it you you cannot become a vampire until you you die your human death yeah so any thoughts on that have you thought about that at all i do i have thoughts Am I on that it uh, kind of ties like, into another point here, put the yeah, drink uh, down you're crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh no i i i agree yeah um I think there's, yeah, there's definitely something going on with that. Um, whether he's a full vampire or, or not again, like it goes into my number two, like directly. So, okay. I was kind of well, like, oh, we don't have to talk about it right yet. Yeah. We don't have to talk uh, about it just yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing stuff out there because it was actually there, part of my, yeah. when you were talking about Bev and talking about that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can talk more about that. That's where I'm throwing. I'm just I'm throwing it out there. I'm gonna make it record. I might be wrong, um, yeah. But we'll see. Um, that was really good. That was your number four. Yes. Okay. What is my number four? Let me scroll back up here. Well, I want to talk about, and I I've really got to get the actors' names in here because they really deserve um, so much credit. But I want to talk about Joe Colley, um, yeah. and I want to call attention to another powerful powerful performance oh robert longstreet there it is i did have it in here somewhere i did my research um (laughs) he's he's so so great and i i think his performance i mean just really blew me away and i was so touched and i think i was blubbering right along with him during that scene with him and lisa um yeah that's that's what i was talking about was (laughs) earlier when i made that moment of when i just kind of broke broke down it comes in that moment when she when, when lisa says I forgive you. And then immediately Joe goes, I feel like I did the same thing at the same time, like right with him. Like, Oh God. (laughs) Like it just hits you in the heart. Like, Oh, you're like, Oh my God. You didn't know how much that was going to like get to you. And then it does. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this, this could have easily been like a one note bit, you know, but he adds so much to it and of course you you can't a lot of it also hangs on this in my opinion a very strong script by both mike and it's his brother james flanagan that Mm -hmm. both um wrote the series um so this of course the the strong script writing between the two of them and this powerful performance by robert longstreet as joe collie i mean he just absolutely makes the character just sing um and i mean when he when he's having those uncontrollable sobs as, you know, as Lisa is, you know, as she's confronting him and then she forgives him. Um, I mean, 
how he can do so much with so little dialogue yeah um and the emotions that he can portray um you and i were yeah absolutely on the same page (laughs) blubbering um and i'm just thinking what a freaking powerful performance and then not just that but in the moment later after the aa meeting when he and um uh with with riley um and even during you know the the AA meeting there with Riley and, and Father Paul. And then as he's, you know, afterwards, he's strolling down the street and, you know, he's just smoking a cigarette and he's just talking about, you know, um, his estrangement from his sister, whom he, you know, had a great relationship with and truly loved. And the only person he said that really loved him. And I just, I love this guy so much. I think he's so great and brings so much to the character. And I, I, I just really yeah. wanted to call attention to his powerful performance because I hope everyone's really, you know, taking, you know, taking that and appreciating that. And, you know, after this episode, um, I really want things to work out for him. You know, uh, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I feel like since he's like the only um, actor not aged up and um, and wearing gray hair dye that, that might not be the, likelihood <laughs> i feel like joe's probably going to meet an untimely end i'm afraid but um i really want things to, to happen for him and yeah. i don't know just really powerful you know when they're having that conversation and father paul tells him you know well okay so lisa forgave you you came to church and i heard your confession so god forgave you who does that leave mm-hmm. and it was just like oh my god <laughs> just yeah, I'm like, and it he is. can't forgive himself. He can't forgive himself at all. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's his line to Father Paul is, what does he say? He's, you know, I guess I'm just not as quick to forgive as the others are. Like, mm-hmm. he knows, and that's that's one of the lines. Like, yeah, that that scene when Lisa confronts him because this is my number three, so I'm kind of throwing my stuff because it'll be my next point. So I'll throw. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and, and, and go in. into it because it's my four. Let's yeah. do it. So, I mean, it's definitely probably one of the most powerful things I've seen in any TV show in quite a while. Uh, yeah, like you said, like his just very submissive and quiet responses and the little sighs and sobs. And while she is like letting all of this anger and frustration that's been pent up since she was a kid, just releasing all of it. I mean, her line that you reached through time that. Oh, my oh God. My God. Was, um, oh, my God. Did that just stick with you? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then, of course, her forgiveness and, but then it's not only her forgiving him, but then giving him encouragement that he needs at the end to forgive himself. Mm-hmm. And it's this lies that the only thing in your way is you, Joe Colley. And that's, that's going to sit with me for a while. And then, yes. like you said, then what Father Paul says about, you know, well, you know, Lisa forgave you, God forgave you. Who does that leave? It's the same thing. He's saying you're going to have to be able to forgive yourself. And he's still struggling with that. <laughs> deep yeah <laughs> and and so heavy i mean i just i can't get over it it's it's so hard to even um because i feel like i'm still processing it i mean i watched the episode the, the first watch gosh i don't know several several days ago soon after we recorded mm-hmm. the last episode um and then just did my second watch before recording and i feel like it still hasn't been long enough for it to sit with me <laughs> like <I> still- <laughs> need to process i feel like i'm not going to be um i'm not going to getting be getting all of my facts there's so much that i want to say about this episode but i feel like i'm not going to be saying anything at all because i'm just all over the place i feel like my my numbers are all over the place my my notes are all out of the place and i'm just talking about like all this random stuff but um 
but that hit hard. That that hit hard. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens with Joe, and I'm I'm happy to see that he's, you know, that it clearly had an effect on him when when Lisa came mm-hmm. to see him, and um, you know, when he says that I. Like, I didn't even want to drink. He's like, well, I wanted to, but I didn't want to, you know, and yeah. so relatable. Um, so, beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You said that was your number three. Was there anything else that you want to say about that? Yeah, I've got a couple other notes. I, I like okay. his, uh, just the way that he talks when he's walking with Riley after. Uh he also really hates Bev, uh, understandable. I mean, also, aside yeah, the fact that no she killed lost. his dog, and he's very much sure about that. But but then the whole, you know, uh, kind of rec center thing comes back up. <laughs> Beverly <laughs> fucking Keens, Queen Evil Bitch Emporium, LL, fucking C. Um, <laughs> Gonna need a bigger sign. <laughs> yeah. It's Oh, it's great. But then, while he's talking with Riley, just to hear him say... I mean, he doesn't get all he says is, you know, I feel like my, my, my life might actually be worth, and then he stops there. But, uh, but what I, where he's going with that, I mean, he's starting to feel like his life is actually worth something, and he's moving towards betterment. Mm-hmm. He's kind of waking up from this just, like, crud that he's been sitting under. And, you know, we learned about his sister. You mentioned that a little bit, that she just recently passed away, and that was, like, the one person who still loved him. But he was so wrapped up in all this self-disgust and self-pity that he hadn't even taken... He wasn't able to see her or visit her with her. And then whenever she died, he just wasn't even able to go or do anything. And that breaks my heart so much there for him. <sighs> yeah. And that now he's kind of waking up and being like, now would be a time where I feel like I was a, like I was the person I should be that I wanted to see her again. And now it's too late. Which Riley just sums it up with, that fucking sucks. Like that's, That sucks. <laughs> that's that, but... But just, you know, his opening up with these things. But then he still has his kind of own way of saying things uh, that is just fun. I like his his speech. I don't know. You know, the, the character and what, you know, uh, Robert, was it Robert Longstreet yes. has given that. Because I, I have a note where he says, you know, when he talks about, you know, and now that I, I would go see her or whatever. Oh, yeah, he goes, I never would have thought I would have uh, stepped foot. That's what it was. It's, you know, I thought I was going to die on this island before ever seeing the inside of that building. And now... I'm sitting in there talking with you and, and the father, <laughs> the priest of the church. And he's right. a, and it shows to go you. <laughs> That's the way he says it. So it goes to show you. shows to go you. Uh, <laughs> That's small town speak. <laughs> yep. And it is like that uh, you never assume words to live by. Them never assume. You know, just the way he talks, his, his way with mm-hmm. words is... I like it. And so it's it's I so touching it. and then immediately followed up with this dark feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, and this is all gonna go so south, isn't it? <laughs> I'm like, oh man. <sighs> yeah, I feel like now that he his character is kind of taking a little bit of a turn towards the better, then I feel like characters like that aren't mm-hmm. long for the world. I hate to say it. Yeah, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And you know that scene there in the church as they're having their meeting and you know as riley you know is like you know well i don't know what to say how i don't feel like i'm any type of authority you know to tell anyone about their drinking and you know he father paul you know calls him out on it which is one of my points later but which i loved but um you know it's such a 
you know, there's so much going on in this show. We've got the, you know, a lot of these religious themes happening here, but we also have, which we haven't talked, I don't think too much about is the theme of sobriety mm-hmm. um, and the impact. And, and I don't know a lot about that um, and that journey exactly, but I love how it, it just, it feels very real. And we talked about how personal the story this was for Mike Flanagan. And it sounds like it's yeah. coming from his, his, what he draws from anyway, his real life. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like if anyone can speak to it, it would be Mike Flanagan. So I have to take what he says, but when, you know, Joe's looking for something, right. He's needing someone to say something to him. And Riley, after getting called out by father, Paul steps up and just looks at him and he's like, you know, you showed up, Joe, you're here. And that's, that's enough. He said it won't be forever, but for tonight, for tonight, it's everything. Yeah. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> just so good. I mean, it just <laughs> just moved me to tears, and I'm mm-hmm. in tears just thinking about it right now. And um, God's out, Guilford, my QB one, my QB one, <laughs> you you beautiful soul who's playing this role um so deeply and moves me so so much and i knew it wouldn't happen but part of me really wanted him to say clear eyes full hearts can't lose (laughs) (laughs) um but (laughs) oh my god it was it was just (laughs) it's great (laughs) but still so beautiful um it it really moved me and and his performance i mean and maybe that's what's getting to me maybe it's not just so much the words it's um how brilliantly the characters um and their actors i should say are are playing their characters i mean i think that's why i just i don't feel like i'm watching this i feel like i'm sitting in the room with them yeah i feel like i'm right there with them and that's what i think mike flanagan does so well with his writing and with his direction it's it's just brilliant i don't feel I feel like I'm a part of it and I'm just again crying all over the place and mm-hmm. I had to stop myself because I was coming up in tears just thinking of that scene but <laughs> just to add to what you were saying and the, and the brilliance of you know Robert Long, Longstreet um, and Zach Guilford you know playing off of each other yeah. and that was just beautiful <clears throat> mm-hmm. oh, the show's gonna make me cry like Hill House all over again and I can't take it <laughs> Yeah. So we it's it's Flanagan. We know what we're getting into. We know. I know. It's like it's like when Joe is like, Oh, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, that's what I feel like every time I watch something from Flanagan. As much of a right. joy it is and it, it feels good, it also just it it brings so much emotion that it's mm-hmm. like like I'm going to enjoy this so much. It's going to be great TV, but I'm going to get some some good cries out of this too. It's going to get some really good cries out of this for sure. Whew. Um, well, while we're talking about good performances, it, did you want to say anything else about your number three before I move on? Um, no, I think I got everything there. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> well, while we're on the subject of good performances or amazing, outstanding performances, I want to again talk about uh hamish link later um as father mm-hmm. paul or um the monsignor he's so freaking good um there's just something about yeah. the cadence of his speech that i love like just whether he's just him and mm-hmm. riley are talking um or whether he's giving one of his sermons um i don't know it's it just moves me um but his performance um it's 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 so such a complex 
character and he's he's doing yeah. such a beautiful job of it is he the villain or is he good is he the hero is he deluded about um you know what's wrong yeah. i about- have a little note about that it's an extra note that talking about that scene that you were talking about with with riley and so that's the thing is him calling him out on his bullshit literally uh yes. <laughs> using that that word which is i was like hearing a priest curse is always kind of jarring but usually effective um mm-hmm. but that scene where he says you know you know this is bullshit it's bullshit you know you, you know he just he calls him out on that and i think that really showed me paul does care he's invested like yeah. he really i think he truly believes at the core like what he's doing even if it seems dark or whatever what he's doing is good and you know the right thing and in his eyes this is god's righteous work at play and he is and he cares and he's he has the best intentions in his mind yes i i agree um absolutely and that's what's so awesome about this character and the complexity um but also how he is portraying this character um we get to see these different sides of Father yeah. Paul. And this is even before we see what happens to his, in quotes, predecessor, Monsignor John Pruitt. Um, you know, we get to see all these sides of Father Paul. We see a priest um, who is asking forgiveness for the lies he's about to tell his congregation. Uh, we see him struggling with a secret um, illness. Um, we see a, a priest um, delivering the kind of sermon that makes you walk away from a, a, a mass going, wow, um, he, 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 I, he, he's, I think he's onto something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see, uh, like you said, he, where he's leading this uh, AA meeting and he calls bullshit on Riley, um, you know, uh, in trying to help Joe Colley. Um, and then what makes it so ironic at least in my opinion is this is like the most realistic portrayal of a priest i've ever seen you know on t on on tv and he just absolutely (laughs) nails it he's like i said the just the cadence of his speech um his humility and how he can weave like god in and out of his conversations with everyone that he's um talking to with you know it it it's it's fascinating, and all the while he's got this like yeah. dark secret, like locked away that no one knows about, and he's you know we don't know anything about yet. I think is just absolutely fascinating, and I think he's doing a brilliant job. Um, I I love watching him um, with his sermons, and I love watching him play this character. It's just it's so beautifully executed. It's just it's. Yeah. Just the perform. I'm such a freaking nerd about um, actors and their performances <laughs> that literally just watching him perform moves me. Like I was in tears yeah. just watching just watching him in the AA meeting speaking, or when he's giving his sermon, um, or just the way that he speaks to any members of his congregation. I'm just like, oh my god, that's just what he's putting into this work. Um, it just touches me. So I, I again have mm-hmm. to be. Um, I have to call it out. So I know I'm a little repetitive yeah. and as I talk about it, I feel like every week, but it, it really is having that much of an impact on me um, that I can't not talk uh, about it. Yeah. So anyway, um, that was my number three. What are we on? I have so many notes in here. I got to scroll down. Yeah. You're number two. 
So my number two uh, ties a lot into that because, uh, yeah, his sermon and stuff goes very much into it. But I'm very curious as to why Paul is getting sick, coughing up blood after the healing of Lisa, uh, kind of having these very, what Sarah says, like a virus infecting him kind of symptoms, things like that. But because what I, I view is what happened with Lisa was like, you know, if he's giving his blood, which we see, you know, Warren walks back in on him and he's pouring from this flask into there to where he's like pouring blood in that this has been a gradual thing. We kind of see like a healing from the, the vampire blood or whatever, if that's what we want to call it, to where what happened with Lisa wasn't like a miracle right there in the moment that he just made it happen at that time. I think she was gradually healing over time anyway, like we've seen with Ed and with Anne and with Mildred and all these things. So I don't think it's like he enacted some power and then that took something out of him and made him sick. I think maybe it's supposed to look that way, but I think the sickness is something else. Mm. Uh, and I, I had a couple theories. My first theory, which I actually kind of debunked on my own, I was like, no, never mind, I don't think so. But it had to do with the poison, because I was thinking, oh, well, Bev has been poisoning rats. That was her cover story. Maybe that is also true, and maybe he's, like, eating or draining the blood from rats so he doesn't hurt the people if he has turned into a vampire. Yeah. And then he's getting poisoned that way. Um, because it does seem like when he gets sick, he wasn't. Ex- he's not expecting this to happen. It does come as a surprise to him that he is... Mm-hmm getting sick and then maybe it's just Bev was slowly poisoning him. That's another option. But then also I'm thinking, okay, if he has turned, and this is where I was saying, you know, this goes into this point when you're asking about what you thought about what, you know, what I thought about the vampire thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe he's not feeding at all. And that's the problem. Maybe he has turned into a vampire and doesn't realize that's what's going on. And he's not drinking blood from, from living things or whatever. And that's, what's causing him to be sick is because he's not, feeding as a vampire that's a good point i mean that you know maybe point. he has been turned into a vampire fully and he doesn't know what it is he doesn't know what he is and he just knows the power that comes with it but he doesn't he doesn't know what's going on and so that could be what's making him sick or and and i'm and i'm not sure uh because we did see which we haven't talked about yet um and if it's when your points i'm sorry but you know we've talked about well is he doing something to the wine? Um, mm-hmm. And we see him uh, pouring from a flask into, after he sends the altar boys away, um, yeah. into the cruets the, uh, from the flask, which I'm guessing is blood, not wine, in that flask. Yeah. But whose blood? Is it his or is it the creature's blood? Right. Um, because they did say, bef- and, and I, I feel like it was before he was poisoned, the the doctor said now of course clearly she doesn't know what's really going on but said he's mm-hmm. dehydrated he's probably got something going on if he's using his blood to um you know give it to the congregation yeah. and he's not replenishing that that could make, i think make him ill that's kind of where i was yeah, thinking a- is that he's giving his blood but he's not feeding he's not replenishing that yeah. um so that that or um. Well, and then I wondered also if it is the creature's blood and Bev is poisoning all the animals and the creatures and setting out this poison and things are getting into it and this creature is feeding off of the animals and they're poisoned. Is he then passing that on somehow? Mm-hmm. Um, so or, or can things inadvertently be poisoned through his blood? Um, I don't know. Just 
so many questions and I I don't have any direction at all, but just kind of these wild, (laughs) crazy things floating through my head. I don't know. Um, But I think it's a really uh, good question. You know what that means? We see him revive at the end, just come back to life after being very much dead. Yeah. And so then it's just like, well, so then if he is a vampire, then like you can't kill a vampire with poison or whatever. Like, no. So maybe he's still in that transitioning kind of turning. So, (laughs) yeah. So then if that's the case, like, well, he's kind of in transition to where it, quote unquote, killed him for a time. But then his vampire, you know, self kind of regenerated and revived him. So he kind of is truly immortal in some way through that. That's interesting. But mm-hmm. but yeah, just the sickness that he's going through and what is causing it. Because we don't really have an answer for that. There's a lot of little theories and little like hints. But I still don't think we've got that fully but then that goes into you talk about his performance and that I also have a note about just giving him some credit and praise on his performance. Because again, we've already seen he's so good at these dialogues, at these sermons, and really just oh, putting so much into yeah. it. But with this one in this episode specifically, there's an extra level of just a masterclass of dialogue and acting where he's giving this long dialogue, monologue, sermon, but he's also slowly, gradually letting signs of fatigue and sickness seep into his his way he's talking, the way he's standing, and the way, like, where he's giving it all of it, you know, this all this energy, and da-da-da-da-da, and then he starts stumbling a little bit and forgetting words, you know, and he's doing this, and then he starts re- repeating, repeating himself to where you start seeing that something's wrong, and then he faints. Yes. And I'm just... I was blown away by watching that performance. Like, holy oh God, crap. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I don't know if it's... I feel like... Um, I don't know. And I, I feel like almost any theory is as good as any of them because we don't know mm-hmm. why he would be sick. And then I thought, well, I haven't seen him eat or drink anything because, you know vampire lore you're not supposed to vampires can't have human food it makes them sick so i thought well did he eat anything i don't think we've seen him eat they had this whole crock pot luck um you know and other opportunities i don't think i think he he had water but i don't think that he he drinks water when he's in the AA meetings with riley but it looks like he's just bringing the glass to his lips yeah i don't know if he's actually drinking but i don't see him eat (laughs) i did Um, notice he had a blueberry muffin sitting next to him during the AA meeting. I think at least the first one uh-huh. while he's with Riley is like sitting on top of his book bag and stuff, but it was untouched and he yeah. never touched it. So I was like, yeah, huh. <laughs> See, I don't know if maybe he, cause I was like, well, maybe he ate something uh, like trying to pull off his humanness and it made him sick. But then I was like, well, if he's, if he's, if he's draining his blood to give to the congregation, mm-hmm. then he could be like anemic and, dizzy you know anytime you have a blood loss and it doesn't get replenished you yeah. it's just like when you give blood right you give yeah. a give a pint or two and you feel dizzy and got to kind of recover a little bit so i wonder if if it's because of that but then i feel like the end you know was the poisoning i feel that was not so much an illness it was i think the um the poison which i guess yeah. went through its course but obviously didn't kill him because he, i don't think he can be so mm-hmm. Oh no! So much. <laughs> I like it. Well, my number two um, we've already talked about was Sheriff Hassan, um, and I 
think I've said, I mean, I could go on and on about him all day, but you know, we need right. to move on. <laughs> so what is your number one? All right. My number one was something we also talked about earlier, but I can see what other okay. notes I have on it. Because I just called it the confession and story of Monsignor John Pruitt. And it kind of runs through the entire episode. Just like this whole through line of Father Paul confessing to God as he's slowly revealing the truths throughout the episode. And this all took place the night before everybody met him for the first time. And so like this was like he showed up, brought the you know chest in, released the creature or whatever, and then went... You know, the the morning before Mass, he's, you know, setting everything up. And then he's like, tomorrow, I'm going to meet my parishioners and I'm going to lie to them. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> he's setting it all up, which I just thought was so cool. And then we get, you know, it, we flash back to Monsignor, you know, him, older, <laughs> which is confusing if you don't know what is going on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, they're in Jerusalem and... The Wailing Wall, which was really cool to see. The Western Wall. I'm glad you I knew guess what they, that was. Yeah. yeah. Did, I guess they, I, I'm assuming they had to have filmed that there at some point. Because it's kind like, of... Yeah. It's, you can't really make that a set the way it looked. It was... But it I wonder if they would be, allow that. I know. I was wondering that, too. Because like you get the moment where he's putting the little piece of paper into the crack. And I'm like, that seems like that would be really problematic. Like it's so sacred. To do that. that and yeah. then so I had to look, I was like, was uh, Hamish Linklater like Jewish? And then like, maybe he was really doing something, but I don't think so. So I don't know. I was like, if they did film it there, it's like, that had to be real sneaky. Um. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, uh... I, I don't know what the rules are. I didn't, I didn't look it up that far, but for anyone yeah. who isn't familiar, again, I'm glad you knew what that was. Um, for as long yeah. as I can remember, it was always called the Wailing Wall. And it was somewhere mm-hmm. my grandma always wanted to visit, even though we're not Jewish. Um, and she definitely was not Jewish. She was extremely devout Catholic. Um but it's also called the Western Wall. So for anyone mm-hmm. who isn't aware of what that is, um, it's in the old city of Jerusalem. It is a place of prayer and pilgrimage, sacred to the Jewish people. It is the only remains of the retaining wall surrounding the Temple Mount, the site of the first and second uh, temples of Jerusalem, um, held to be uniquely holy by the ancient Jews. The first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587-586 BCE, and the second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE. So that is what we were referring to. It's a very holy, um, sacred place, and lots of people um, yeah. uh, go there to pray and and just kind of lay their yeah. hands on the wall. So, so it's anyway. it's kind of one of those for people who are making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to you know a lot of the biblical locations and where Jesus walked and all these things. Yeah. That is like a highlight. That is definitely one of these places that you have to do and you know have to be at. Mm-hmm. And so it is cool. And so yeah, I, I still don't know. It's like did they? I looked at like filming locations and everything was just under Vancouver. Like they didn't have anything said about filming in Jerusalem. So I was like, yeah. I, I don't I know how they pulled that off. Then also, did you see the the cameo of while well, Monsignor's wandering away a little bit, and there's a younger priest who comes in and oh, Monsignor, come this way. And it's Mike what, Flanagan himself. What's his name? Yes, Mike Flanagan made his first cameo. <laughs> if you blink, you miss yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was really cool. And then I guess that is definitely Hamish Linklater in old age makeup yep. and the prosthetics and stuff, which I couldn't even know. It. I'm like looking at it, and I'm like, this is really good because you cannot tell it's him. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's uh, Alex Esso's 
makeup is not anywhere near as good. It's miles ahead of hers, uh, which she's who plays Mildred, Sarah, the the doctor's mom, Sarah's yeah, mom. Yeah, it's which she was in Bly Manor as Charlotte, the the mother of the, mm-hmm. the kids in Bly Manor. She's a much younger actress. Uh, <laughs> yes, she so that's is. Interesting. I think she's yeah, also so, uh, Wendy in, um, or sorry, maybe I have that wrong. In Doctor Sleep, she was yes, um, yes, she the was the mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so the the prosthetics and makeup stuff they did for Linklater, for his time in Jerusalem and stuff was awesome. But then getting back to the story, um, we get the reveal of why he chose the name of Father Paul, as he's going through yeah. the story. I mean, he talks about anybody who has the religious background who was raised Christian in any form knows Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus to prosecute and you know the, the Christians in Damascus mm-hmm. and then on his way there as he's arriving you know on the road he's struck by this blinding light that is Jesus himself coming to him and and telling him that I am the true savior the Christ and that you shall follow me and what you're doing is wrong turn repent the scales fall from his eyes as he said and he becomes a follower of Christ and decides instead of you know he's known as the prosecutor Saul so he changes his name to Paul and becomes a Christian and so there's this whole thing and so I think it's really cool that that's where John Pruitt knowing he has to go back as somebody else assumes the title the name Paul since he was also visited and changed forever, given a new mission on the road to Damascus. Yes, so. <laughs> I love that. It's so good. Um, again, with the symbolism, on the same road to Damascus, that Saul has his rebirth yeah. and is reborn and then takes the name Paul, or Paul the Apostle, um, Apostle Paul, um, as as yeah. I grew up knowing him. Um, yeah, that he chose that same name. Um, yeah. After his 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 conversion, so yeah, that's yeah. Excellent. That was a really cool nod. I was I liked that a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of too. course, then uh, the sandstorm takes him off the the you know road to Damascus and sends him out into the desert where he finds the tomb, the cave, whatever it is, uh, and then meets his angel, uh, which mm-hmm. we first see again the eyes in the in the darkness in the back of the cave. And oh, it's just so creepy. It's so good. And then, of course, when he lights another match and they're gone and then he fumbles with it for a while. And then when he finally gets to the last like match lit and this thing is right there at him and, and jumps on him and attacks him. And that's a really cool scene because then the entire matchbox ends up lighting. And so you get like a very bright light mm-hmm. in that cave. And it sets up. Rima can see because we're on our Zoom call. I have it set as my background on Zoom right now yes. because it really set with me. Um it's a very captivating image of the quote-unquote angel in the cave, and the light from the matchbox is sitting behind his head like a halo behind his head in a lot of those older religious paintings that they always have that same halo, that same light behind the head of Jesus or Mary or these holy figures. Yes. And so as we're seeing, you know, the Monsignor in his state being drained and kind of what's That's going on. what he's thinking. Looking up at this creature and he's seeing this holy seeing halo light behind its the, head. the wings. Mm-hmm. And the halo-like light. And that's what he associates yeah. with this being to be. Yeah. 
And also, and so, uh, that's a and, great image. <laughs> oh my god! Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. Just because people can't see, I've been completely unsettled the entire time because your background is this <laughs> creature, and it's like literally in my nightmare. So it's a little unsettling <laughs> to see it like behind you the entire time. Um, but also, I feel because look, um, the the Monsignor, you know, was suffering from some extreme dementia. Like he was even yeah. worse off than what people thought he was like people knew oh yeah he's he's kind of losing it a little bit but he's oh he's okay well he was really far off um than what people knew so i and i feel like he was still caught in the haze of his dementia um and so as he's going through this as he sees this creature and and he sees the wings um he sees like this halo like light behind it um but then also when and for some reason unknown, I don't know why. I can't figure this out yet. It's like this creature looks like it's it's draining him and is probably going to let him die. But he, he whispers mm-hmm. angel and the creature's like, Oh, well here my man, have some blood. Let me let me fix you up. Right. Um so I'm confused as to why he made that decision, why this creature decided to save him and, and, and give him his blood. But the act of that when he um tears into his like wrist and um gives him the blood there's this mm-hmm. stigmata reference, um, yes. which is so often associated with miracles in the church that this is, again, another association for the Monsignor to think of, of this creature as an angel because of this like stigmata uh, representation when he um, you know, makes that um, wound in his wrist. And then also the giving of the blood that he associates with the giving yeah. of, of Jesus giving his blood for life. Um, I think yep. the whole connection between vampires and angels, the blood of vampires and the communion, I think are just so clever. Uh, people are yeah, going, really say I'm going to hell for that, but I, I you know, whatever. I, I could see it offending <laughs> some very religious people, but from, I'm not trying. Like I'm not trying to offend like, anyone. Yeah. So you know, I want to make that clear. I'm just saying yeah. that there's these connections, and I feel like these references, and just talking about what's in the show. I'm going to try and leave my own beliefs out of it as much as possible, even though I've been trying to be very open about you know, what I believe. I don't, I, I also want to be respectful and I know that there are people that exactly. will have a problem with that. So yeah, don't want to, but personally for me kind know. of being outside of a lot of that now looking at it just as a creative, you know, mm-hmm. resemblance, it's like, man, that's really cool that somebody can make those two things like and make a yeah. connection and do that. Or, you know, they have this story that's like, that's really creative. I never would have thought about that myself. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know that I would either. But I mean, to me, it makes sense now that I sit here and, and think of it as you mm-hmm. know this. Is, maybe not so much the angel and the vampire, but like the the blood, you know, giving yeah. life and and how we're taught in in you know Catholicism. But when you're like five years old, you know, and you're being told to like eat the body and drink the blood of you know someone, it was kind of like. You feel like you're in a scary movie a little bit. Yeah, it's it's hard to, you know. (laughs) So that was my thoughts as a five year old. So that's how I started out with my religious experience. You know, at least my early memories of it, anyway. Um, But I mean, it's I think easy for to think of a, a a priest suffering from dementia how he would make that correlation. But I feel like where he's kind of going down the wrong path, which we've kind of talked about, is. He's he's brought this creature to this island, thinking it's going to be this salvation for this island. And he he loves these people. You can tell with the acts and the things that he's doing that he loves yeah. these people. Um, 
and I feel like he's so misguided and maybe that's too light of a term, but you know, I, I, I don't think this is going to go well with what he's, what he's wrought. Yeah. Which did make me think, I was like, I'm really curious how he managed to get a vampire angel monster thing in a box back to the States. I mean, he's not checking that thing in his luggage at the airport. So yeah. How did he <laughs> like, get this thing? Well, he said he, he, he said he packed it with antiquities. Mm-hmm. So I guess he spent quite a, a long time, um, in the Holy Land and, you know, just, you know, I hope nobody looks too hard at this box, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, put put in this side up and fragile and don't touch and don't open or, you know, whatever all yeah. over that box, you know, and hit it with some antiquities. And that's how he was able to, I guess, smuggle him him back. Yeah. But yeah, how but how did he get him in the box? How did he convince him to be like, yes, come with me? Come, yeah, cause there's... come travel with me. Something about the creature, because he says, you know, when he realizes he's young and before he leaves the cave, he looks back and the angel is watching him. This creature is watching him standing in the darkness. And then somehow he waited until night or whatever. And then the creature would follow him or he'd move a little bit. And then the creature would fly to him and catch up. So it was following him on purpose, almost like there was this connection between them where he knew he knew he was, you know, to to prove it. Now, Paul, at that time, he's going, oh, I'm, it's following me because it, it has a purpose and I can take it somewhere where it can help these people who need it. While I think in the creature's mind, maybe he's just going, I, he's taking me somewhere where I've been underground mm. for who knows how long and he's going to take me Free somewhere meal. where I can feed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm thinking, did he throw a milk bone into the trunk or something? How did he get him in there? Um, it's, it's, I don't know, because how, I don't know. It's just, you know, are they able to communicate in any way? Yeah, um, I don't know. You know, what, I don't know. Or maybe he can speak to it and he understands, but he can, I don't know. Because we did hear um, when he, when he, because um, I, I, I still don't, I'm not sure that he's dead. I'm guessing he's dead, but um, uh, Bol, uh, mm-hmm. he, he was able to repeat his words. I don't know if he understood what was being said to him, but he yeah. had a capacity to, sounds like speak, at least yeah. echo what he was hearing. So I don't know if he can, if you, if you talk to it, does it understand? Can it communicate back? Is there just like some sort of. I could just picture that, like, if it's just echoing back stuff, it's like, so, so you're, you're an angel. Angel. Yes. yes okay. <laughs> he just takes that as confirmation. Yes. And then, okay, and you can heal people. Heal people. Awesome. Okay. Yes, well then come with you'll me. come back with me. Come back come with, with me. All right. Yes. Let's go. Like. <laughs> here we go. Um. Yeah, it's a little bit of a puzzle how he, you know, how how that worked exactly. Like, yeah, it does sound like they sort of formed, formed sorry, like this curiosity bond between the two. Uh-huh. Um, but how does he stuff him in a trunk? Right. <laughs> and he's okay with that, you know. Very curious. <sighs> just, just stay in this box. Stay in this box. Cool. We're on the cool. same page. Yeah. <laughs> Not twice if you can still breathe, you know. Yeah. Poke some holes and we'll be good. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I love that we got some of these answers um, here in the third episode. I mean, we've only got a seven episode show. So we're yeah. almost to the halfway point, you know, of, of the show. Um, so I'm glad that we're not wasting a lot of time on getting mm-hmm. there that you know, we, 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 we set the stage and we've gotten some explanation. We've gotten some answers. I still have some questions, a lot of questions, but um, 
Yeah. Now that we've kind of gotten that out of the way, we can... With a short season, you know, short series like that, yeah, there's not time for spinning wheels a little bit. Like, story's going to be moving, and that's that's good. Yeah, we, we ain't got time to mess around. We've mm-hmm. got to hit it. Um, well, my number one we've already talked about as far as, you know, Beth's involvement um, and what she, she did, what she knows... Um, so I'm going to go through notes. How about notes? Oh, I've got a bunch of notes (laughs) of just little things. Um, so you want me to just kind of go through mine and then see what, um, all right. So let's just kind of, this is just in order, just random notes in order of like watching the episode kind of in chronological order. So we'll see what, but, um, Sarah, while checking out Lisa after her miracle, is looking for this scientific and natural reasoning for Lisa's recovery, which I like that she's still, you know, very much like the, you know, like, okay, sure, people can think that, but, you know, we see that Sarah's not really a believer or practicing, you know, Christian. So she's got her own methods where she's like, we need to take her to the mainland. We need to test for this stuff and see if we can use this to help other people. What's going on? And, uh, you know, because... What it has happened to Lisa isn't a natural healing occurrence, like Sarah's thinking, but it's I don't think it's a godly miracle either. Um Right. But but Sarah but then of course Sarah or Lisa's parents are just not having it. They're like, no, just take it as a miracle from God and move on. And I feel like that's kind of a, a theme with a lot of what's going on in this show also. Yeah. But then uh Sarah had some great moments. Uh, she could have been a point. Um I was like, why haven't you invested in a safety gate to block the stairs? I mean, (laughs) I guess a grown woman, even with like dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever, would still maybe be able to move it. But maybe not. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) A a good baby gate. I don't know. Something. Uh, (laughs) But uh, but then I do like the the moment that Sarah has. So I am jumping ahead a little bit here just because I know I have that note uh, where, you know, uh, Paul his visits with with the mother have finally kind of been paying off it seems cuz it's just a quick little thing where we see like that whatever is affecting her mind has kind of worn off and she's i felt like I was in the dark and now I've woken up and where have I been when did you move me downstairs why did I yeah, she's and she just has lucid. this moment yeah. with her and I was like man that's that's powerful and then on second watch I noticed it I wouldn't have noticed it the first watch I don't think you really would have it's just a tiny little hint but um while Sarah is checking out, I know what you're gonna say, pa- Paul. You know, and says, you know, oh, you know, it's like I'm just doing my job, and he goes, no, but you helped me, and you help people. And he goes, I'm proud of you, and ding, ding, ding. It's it's a little detail, like mm-hmm. I think to her, it probably just seems kind of strange, like um, okay, thanks, but you know, because he, he she barely knows who he is, but to him, he's known her her whole life, like since she was like a little girl. And so you only really catch the significance of that on the second watch, but it was a clever little hint. And I was like, ah, now that I know who he is for sure, it's been confirmed. I'm like, he kind of slipped a little bit by saying, I'm proud of you. Uh, <laughs> I think it might go a little bit deeper than that. Like he kind of revealing be... revealing himself to be um, the Monsignor, not just Father Paul, a visiting priest that mm. kind of said an oddball thing. Um, because we've... We've talked before about um, in the previous episode where he stares at her often. She's like, gosh, he just yeah. stares at me. And it's, you know, just kind of unsettling. I'm not sure why. And um, we've heard Mildred um, say, I-, I saw your father outside the window. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And of yeah, course, and you can relate she, to that, her dementia or something, you know, but yeah. then when he says, I'm proud of you, it almost sounded paternal. Or to maybe where Monsignor was actually her father and then they kept that a secret. Like that was a whole under I think, the... I think he had some other sins maybe he was needing yeah. to confess. <laughs> I like that. I, I think that I don't could know. Be. I uh, don't know. It just, it's, it's, it's a little curious to me. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> But yeah, uh, oh man, what else? Uh, but yeah, of course, after the miracle, then yeah, we get everyone lining up in front of the rectory looking to be the next miracle for whatever little problem they have. And Riley even calls that out where he's like, you're going to have everybody with every with an ache and, you know, head cold Headache, in your pews. Yeah. You know, that, and, and he's right, because then we see the next mass and it. Those pews are just filling up. Pews are filling up. Lisa's yep. family and Bev are going around like passing out flyers trying to recruit more people like come come to the place where the miracles are happening. It's this whole thing which even though Father Paul's playing this whole, you know, using the biblical, you know, when you help somebody don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and this stuff, but I think secretly it is all part of the plan is let me pull off a couple miracles here or there we start getting more people in. And there's not a nefarious thing, at least not in his mind. He's like, but the more people we can get in, the more people I will give communion and the more people I can help and heal. Yes. I think is kind of his his game plan there. I think you're exactly uh, right. Yeah, I talked a little bit just those little, you know, that moment between Riley's parents where he gets up to put on a record and realizes this, like, chronic back pain is gone. So they dance together and it just made me smile. It was a sweet moment. I know. It was uh, um, <laughs> good. It's... It's. I feel like some of this might not end so well because I kind of worry about what what might happen with these in quotes miracles that are happening, like with Lisa being able to walk again. You know, Ed's back pain is you know kind of gone, and he's got a new spring in his step, and you know people are feeling pretty good. Um, I just I don't know if that's going to last and what's going to come of that, but um, right. But yeah, for now it's it was kind of fun. It was fun that that fun little dancing scene between him and Anne was just yeah. lovely, you know. Loved and the it. song, my God, I mean, <laughs> who doesn't love Neil Diamond? So right, this show really does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have show. <laughs> like, and again, it apparently has a thing. It's for like the Neil fifth Diamond. like Neil Diamond song we've had in three episodes. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Riley's list of people that he harmed. As part of his, like, steps. There's interesting things in there. Uh, we see him as he's writing the, like, final name on the list, which is Terabeth, the girl that he killed, mm-hmm. is on that list. Which is a little interesting because I looked into, like, AA, like, steps and what a lot of these things are supposed to mean. And it's not just the people you harmed, but it's also people that you're willing to make amends with if they'll let you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, well, if she clearly is dead, he killed her, why is he trying to make amends but then he looks over right after that, and that like ghost figure is still standing there, and maybe that's his way of making the ghost go away, is if I try to make amends in my own mind, maybe that counts. You know, there's... I mean, he's he has he's, he's wearing so much guilt from what he did mm-hmm. that maybe, as we're talking about Joe forgiving himself for what he's done, you can also talk about Riley kind of needing to forgive himself yeah. for what he's done, and, you know... Um, even though Tara Beth can't, because she's dead, cannot forgive him like Lisa did Joe. Yeah. Um, because when you forgive someone like Lisa did, that wasn't for Joe. That was for her. Yeah. You know, you, you, you 
when you're doing that, it is in order for her to move on. Like she is still mm-hmm. angry. She still hates him, which someone's like, well, how can you forgive someone if you really hate them? And that's not what it's about. It's, you know, about the ability to get past it. You're going to yeah. continue to move on and you're going to grow. Um, and while that Tara Beth can't quite give Riley that, I wonder if through, because even though she's dead, he can still, I think, try to make amends to her, maybe even to her family um, in some way so that he can move on because yeah. he's stuck. I mean, he he's had that conversation and he feels like he's stuck and he he's not moving on. And um, I don't know. I think that's maybe where that's going a little bit. Mm hmm. And also on that list, of course, his mom and dad, which that makes sense why they'd be on there. Yeah. Aaron is on the list, too, which I wonder what the reasoning there, exactly why he wants to make amends with her for something. So I'm, I'm interested to see. I mean, then he goes right from there to, like, hanging out with her, and we see him, like, helping her build the crib for the baby, and, like, he's kind of, you know, building this relationship with her, even if it's just his friends. Right I know, now, it's like, fun to see. Like he goes and stops at the porch and has tea. Yeah, like he stops now. He doesn't just keep going on home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, why why he feels that he wronged her or harmed her, I'm not sure. And I'm sure hopefully we'll get an answer to that. But I think we will. Having her name on that list was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just some other names. There's one Naren, which is like Darren with an N, and I was like, that's just a unique name I've never heard. Um, yep. <laughs> and then there was a Danielle E and a Jamie S. And even though the last name initials are different, I wonder if those are uh, references to Bly Manor with Danny and Jamie. Oh, God. Don't <laughs> utter those names to me, Paige. <laughs> uh, Too many feels. Right. <laughs> but I wonder if that's just a little inside Flanagan thing, just to put the names Danielle and Jamie on that list. I mean, uh, wouldn't that make perfect sense? We know how he loves to reference all of his other right, right. material. So, yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if that's why those names are there. Yeah. And then just, let's see, other things. Yeah, Warren and Lisa together. Cute. Uh, yeah, that little twirl she did when she went and tapped yeah. on his window. Oh, that was cute. Yeah. And I was going to make a note, but then, like, on second watch, I was like, okay, he's wearing sweatpants. I'll move on. But the first time I watched it, I thought he had, like, full, like, jeans and stuff on. And I was like, who sleeps like that? But then I was like, okay. Uh, there's sweats the second time i watched it i was like i was paying a little more attention i was like okay no that makes sense because it's well, it like was, a, it was dark it was dark. it's a colder area yeah. of course yeah you get a pass. it was dark <laughs> but but at first i thought he like hopped out of bed with like shoes and jeans and everything's already he was on. ready I'm to like, go what are you doing um <laughs> he was waiting for that tap on his window right uh let's see <laughs> here's a little snark for me uh i'll try to leave it as calm as I can but I was like I can't help but have to make this note um during the the scene in the classroom Bev says a bible in the classroom is just like a science or history book the students can take them or leave them and I was like well in my experience people taking or leaving science and history is kind of a big culprit on a lot of issues we have today so uh <laughs> you know right. like Erin said before she was rudely cut off for the fifth time you know it's not the same thing at all it's not uh, the same thing <laughs> Uh, right. And then Aaron following that up with her certain breed of religious point when she's talking to Riley, I was like, "Girl, I'm right here with you." Um, and then I just I love Aaron. She's great. Sick of Bev's bullshit. Her relationship with Riley is adorable. 
and she's just really funny. I was like, damn, too bad she's fictional because, ah, man. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? But that whole, I'd, I'd kick their ass like that. Well, that was actually my thigh, so, well, then I'd kick their thighs. Like, <laughs> I mean, I could watch those two just walk and have a conversation all day long. Right. Like, I love watching those two. I think they have great chemistry, and um, which I, did, I wasn't sure that they would. You know, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can picture these two. You know, um, but yeah, I'm totally, totally into it. I think um, they have beautiful conversations and I I want more for sure Mm -hmm. from them. Yeah. And that is all I have. I think I finally ran out my notes. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, I'm just going through mine that um, you haven't already said. So um, Joe's gun that Mm -hmm. Lisa, you know, asks about. Um, So we're going to see that again, right? His, his grand. He says it's his grandfather's gun, and I'm like, was uh-huh. his name Chekhov? Because <laughs> I feel like that's going to be seen again. Um, we talked about the effects of what Father Paul is doing with um, everyone's healing. Everyone's you know kind of feeling better. There's dementia being healed. There's backaches that are disappearing. Um, Mike Flanagan's cameo. Oh, one thing that um, I picked up before, and this was not in this episode, but I keep thinking about it because I love um, so much the conversation that Riley and Father Paul had in the previous episode during the AA meeting. Um, When Father Paul is talking about alcohol being neither good nor bad, it's how people choose Mm -hmm. to use it. And as I keep watching the show and I think about that conversation and what he was said... Um, and this episode and some things that were said, do you think that this um, could be about how people use their faith in the same way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, uh, a symbolism there with sobriety and or, you know, and, and coming out of religion or, you know, right. you look at it that way or, you know, the way that you treat alcohol is the way you treat your yeah religion and it that can be was, good and be used for good, or you can really hurt people with it. Um. <laughs> that really just st- stuck with me after I f- it, it took me a little bit to kind of make that connection, and especially like um, I don't know something about because I kept thinking about it of what a wonderful scene it was between the two of them um, and their conversation um, and how much it meant to me. Um, I can't get it off my brain, and then as I keep seeing more and more things happening, I was like, oh, I wonder if that it just it makes sense to me. Um, yeah. The development for Lisa, um, you know, we, we've talked about her, but not so much focused on her. Um, you know, it, it was, I think, good development for her as a character, but I feel like also it was more uh, of a moment earned for Joe. Um, it was a real powerful scene, um, how she was able to, you know, kind of heal and let go. Um, and how she comes to the realization that you can't change the past. You can only decide to do um you know, you can only move forward and decide, yeah. you know, to move forward with what hurt you. Um, I thought very much uh, as when we see the Monsignor in the Holy Land um, in the caves, I got exorcist vibes. Huh. I don't know if anyone else did. Have you seen <laughs> the exorcist? It's been a long time. 
Oh, well, that movie is freaking ingrained in my brain, and I can see it clear as day. It still scares the shit out of me. But um, there's some scenes from the beginning of The Exorcist that, you know, they're kind of in the Holy Lands. There's like the sandstorms. There's the caves Mm -hmm. that kind of get exposed um, during all of that. Um, And as he's standing there, you know, in the sandstorm, I mean, that's just what came up to me. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) And then this creature um, in the caves is very kind of reminiscent of, like, the demon that's referenced in The Exorcist. you know, kind of just a lot of that that reminded me of, of that. I don't know if that's where that came from or not, but um, it's kind of vibes I was getting. I'm curious to see if we're going to get, I don't know that we need it. I feel like sometimes explaining things too much take the mystery out of it. So I don't know if we're going to get a backstory of exactly what this creature is or right. um, what what or who it is or was. I don't know. But, um, you know, you get a little bit of an explanation of that in, in The Exorcist. And I don't think, I don't know if we need that here or not. Um and then the the montage of the song that we that we mentioned during the Neil Diamond song, and you could see mm-hmm. um, all of these things happening in everyone's life. You know, there's um, the sheriff and his son; they're praying. Um, Ed and Anne are dancing. Um, Riley and Aaron are putting together the, uh, the the crib. All of these cool things, you know, happening, and it was such a beautiful montage. I realize as I'm sitting there watching it, I haven't loved or enjoyed a montage as much um, since I watched the Crystal Blue Persuasion montage in Breaking Bad. (laughs) Anyone who has seen that show knows the montage I'm talking about, and I'm sure enjoyed it as much as what I did. Um, All right, well, that's all the notes that I have. Um, Do you have your closest to God choice Uh, for this week? Yeah. Let's see. Um... I picked, and it seems because it's it's going a little. <laughs> again, I picture Father Paul abstract, <laughs> <laughs> exaggerated, <laughs> you know. Uh, but no, uh, so a little outside of you know that. But but yeah, uh, my my pick is Joe. I think oh, just nice the the personal growth that he goes through in this episode, and it takes. Lisa confronting him and it just being a like I mean him slamming face first into a wall with that moment but it it does wake him up and he starts it it puts him on this path of of self-improvement and betterment and realizing that he does have more he could be and more he could live for and just seeing him actually trying and having these conversations with Father Paul and with Riley and seeing how happy he is finally kind of shaking the dust off of himself and moving forward it's it's just incredibly touching and i have to give it to him nice good choice um i'm actually on the other side of that going to choose lisa um i feel like for me anyone who um can forgive the person who shot them and let them paralyzed mm-hmm. um has to be a pretty close to god kind of moment uh at yeah. least so far on the show so i'm picking lisa um, what about the devil's minion in this episode? <laughs> Are we allowed to pick the creature? <laughs> <laughs> you can pick whoever you want. <laughs> there are no rules. Because yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, because I think there's this very dark, like, it's kind of manipulated or or fooled the Monsignor into taking it back to the island and doing these things. But I don't think there is a very holy... Uh, mission or purpose that this thing has. So I would pick that. I was like, are, are we allowed to pick that? If not, then I think 
Bev Keen just holds the title for the whole rest of the show. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, she definitely holds a permanent title. But I'm y- thinking, so, so if I'm allowed like. to pick the creature, then I'm going with the creature. Cause there are no rules. I think nothing good is going to come from this thing being on the island. No, there, there are no rules. <laughs> you, you can pick whomever you're feeling. Well, I feel <laughs> a little bit um, of a character on the flip side of that that's... Uh, doing a little bit of dancing with the devil and that's father paul um Mm -hmm. because i i don't think that is an angel um Mm -hmm. who's made him younger um and i feel like he might have been taken in by that creature so i think he's he's dancing on the dark side a little bit there Mm -hmm. um okay well i think that was a good wrap up of of the show. I, I feel like we could have talked a lot more about, um, and I know that we already have, but uh, just so much that we could die, you know, go into with all the different theories and all the different things. This, but this was such a deep one. Um, yeah. This was great. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it some more. Um, well, not only do I think we could talk a lot about it, but we got a lot of feedback for this episode. <laughs> so I think it's, fantastic clearly there were a lot of opinions um about this episode because we had a a, a lot of response i can't wait to hear what our listeners thought so yeah if you want to take this first one let's see see what our listeners have to say all right so the first one comes from Gemma hall she says so i'm a huge vampire fan i will watch anything with them in unfortunately twilight (laughs) but buffy the vampire diaries and true blood especially This is how I caught on quickly what Father Paul was doing to the wine in the church and what he was. Vampire blood often has healing properties in the vampire lore, so when Lisa was able to walk last week, I was like, yep, vampires. (laughs) (laughs) Father Paul was either resisting the full transition himself, and that's why he kept fainting, and eventually the blood killed him or Bev poisoned him. I'm not sure, since he had ingested so much blood to age him back 50 years. Hmm. His speeches in this episode were so amazing, though, and I could listen to him all day. Even though I'm not religious, I just like the actor. It's just a thrilling show, and I love the slow reveal of what happened to the Monsignor. Also, last week's overhead shot of the island and the creature flying over was just like Lost Boys. Totally agree. (laughs) That was my thought, too. Um, Gemma, thank you for for pointing that out. Lost Boys, another classic. Mm -hmm. Well, and this week we got some feedback from the Godfather himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason decided to write in Jason Cabassi because nice. um, he's he's just caught up and is decided that he just, he was compelled to leave some feedback. So let's see what he has to say. All right. Um, he says, "I'm glad you guys picked this show to cover uh, first over you. You is fun, but this show is so masterfully done and so emotionally impactful. It's great. It's also really challenging. As an agnostic bordering on atheist, I feel triggered by some of it, and I imagine people who are religious are triggered too, maybe even more so. But I applaud Flanagan for going there. He clearly takes it all very seriously and understands all the different perspectives, which I think is the right way to do it. Prediction. Seems pretty clear all the actors with the old people makeup on are playing characters who will de-age at some point. That would be Ed, Henry Thomas, his wife, the doctor's mother, and maybe the mayor. Apologies to the mayor if that's just how he looks, normally looks, lol. (laughs) Another prediction. I bet by the end of this, in his quiet moments, Riley will still be seeing visions of the girl he killed, but that he'll have found a way to live a fulfilling life anyway. Really oh, good. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I can't help but think about that. No, because I brought up Alex Esso, the actress who plays the, the the doctor's mother, and I'm like, she's so much younger, and it's like, 
we're going to see her de-age a lot and I feel yeah it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. agreed <laughs> All right, this next one comes from Doug Fick. He says, great opening with the backstory and the easily predicted reveal that Paul is the Monsignor and how it wove it through the episode. Flanagan does this staple very well, though. With all the residents coming to the rectory for healing, I thought I might see Wilfred Brimley in the cast of Cocoon. (laughs) How is Steve Gutenberg doing these days, I wonder? (laughs) The science versus faith conversation with Paul and Riley kind of mirrors conversations a lot of people are having today with our current situation. Follow the science. I guess Neil Diamond has several faith-based songs in his catalog. Mm-hmm. And now Paul is the rock star. Linklater's acting cadence is so unique where he seems to start his next sentence before the last ends. Very unusual. More poison, Bev? What the fuck is wrong with you? Are you testing Paul to see if he resurrects? The use of narrative art while Paul confesses his story of the creature to God was a nifty touch, as you see this often in churches, especially telling the story of Easter. The most devastating part of this episode was Lisa's monologue to Joe. It was a brilliant piece of writing and acting on both ends. The line, you reached through time and stole, was felt so deeply on this end. Mm -hmm. And when he was forgiven, he appeared to have been granted a miracle by Lisa. In the school meeting, a comment on current school issues, or is the school meeting a comment on current school issues? Was the creature standing at the window the whole time while the sheriff uh, and his son Ali talked? I couldn't tell. And finally, we see the angel, not quite a vampire and I don't think benevolent. How did Paul get th- get him through customs so easily? Loving this immense, uh, loving this immensely, and look forward to everyone's thoughts. Great, excellent, <laughs> great feedback, Doug. Yeah, that creature. We didn't talk about it. I mean, we talked about him a lot there in the cave scenes, but um, yeah, that that window. Whew, mm-hmm. He got a little. He was getting a little curious. Like, oh, what y'all yeah. talking about in there? Let me let me <laughs> eavesdrop a little bit. I oh have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to chime in. I've been around a while. I think I've got something to contribute. Um, yeah. Jeez. I just, I, I'm like, what's wrong with me that I watch this in the middle of the night? Um, I'll never learn. Um, all right. Let's see what our friend Lindsay Schlicht has to say. She says, well, you called it Rima vampires. I have no idea why Father Paul sees this creepy-ass winged blood-sucking thing and thinks angel, but it's clearly a vampire-type creature. I loved how they told the story through the narrative of what appears to be a confession intermixed with flashbacks and the carved art prints. Beautifully done, and the kind of unique storytelling we've come to love from Mike Flanagan. The scene in the cave with the matches was straight out of The Conjuring to me and so damn creepy. When Beth followed Father Paul into his home, she sees something on the wall and says, It's a true miracle. Later, we see a photo of the Monsignor on the wall, which is obviously Father Paul. Are we to assume Bev realizes they are one and the same? She does call him Monsignor when he comes back to life. Also, they made sure to show us um, she had the poison again. I can't fathom what her reason would be for poisoning Father Paul, but man, she looks shifty-eyed and guilty as she cried over his presumably dead body. Do we think she poisoned him? Why? To prove he really is a miracle if he came back to life? That stupid damn face in the window scared the crap out of me. (laughs) I Sorry, I got got chills from head to toe. I'd been lulled into the no hidden ghost claim and quit looking for them. (laughs) So (laughs) we actually got a hidden creeper. Damn, you gave me a heart attack. (laughs) Really love this episode. Glad it's picking up steam. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm so Uh, sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just. 
I feel felt the exact yeah. same way. She is Lindsay. reliving her own thoughts while watching. That I know. The first I'm time. sorry. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, but it was really funny the way that you worded it. So it just it mm-hmm. made me giggle because I thought, yep, um, <laughs> I relate to something like that very deeply, Lindsay. So I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, That's awesome. <laughs> I wasn't expecting either. Like I said, um, sheriff's reaction when he jumped and was like, "Fuck!" That was yep. Yep, you said it at the same time, probably. Right. Oh, exact God. same time. Yeah. Exact same time. I can promise you. My dogs will tell you because they like freaked the hell out. Like, what is wrong with you? And they went and hid under the bed. Anytime I get scared and jump like that, they um, go hide under the bed, and that's what they did. So anyway, that's great. Th- thank you, Lindsay. Uh, um, yes. Always a-, a pleasure to hear from you. All right, this one comes from Don Elizabeth. She says, "This is getting good." Most of the questions I had tonight were answered here. Father Paul is Father Pruitt. But I kept yelling, no, that's not an angel at the TV. I agree with what you said last podcast, Rima, about Hamish Linklater being such a good Father Paul. I could almost believe his sermons. He's so convincing. At this point, I'm wondering if the whole town, at least those taking communion, will turn into vampires. And while there aren't supposed to be hidden ghosts, I keep looking. That face in Ollie's window did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Make those adjustments on y'all's, on y'all's TV. It'll be worth it. <clears throat> All right. Next one we have is from Maureen Favo. She says, wow, I am a Neil Diamond fan and love how Mike Flanagan is using his music. Loved, loved, loved montage. Seems uh, like the whole Flynn family has romance in play. This episode is jam-packed. Father Paul both is and is not an imposter. Did Bev poison Father Paul? Pig died the same way. Did they show us who dropped the burger to Pike? Um, Yes believe they did and i believe that she left this in response to having not yet heard the podcast um when we covered episode one okay um so if that helps give some context here um so did we see who dropped the burger to pike bev or father paul we know bev made a connection of father paul to young father pruitt vampire or angel philosophically this is going to get interesting guess father paul was fine spiking wine with his blood when low church attendance but now too much blood needed Hmm, it's interesting. That's a good point. Um, he, yeah, he had a little. He had to break into his reserves a little bit. And that's yeah, what made him sick. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, can't imagine where this is heading, but can't be good. Um, Easter egg. One of the mailboxes is uh, is that Joubert Joubert from Gerald's Game Batty. Oh, I guess I I missed that. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, last one. Now feel like I really need to listen to what Father Paul has preached um, because it may have very different context now. Um, I I feel on the second watch when he's giving his sermons, um, mm-hmm. there's a little something extra in there. I feel yeah, a lot of his emphasis on rebirth and you yeah, know, <laughs> it's been my experience. Second anyway. life and things like that. Yeah, uh, they do take a little bit of a different turn. Yeah, after my first watch, I'm not sure yet, but second watches, I'm usually like, uh-huh, okay, now I'm connecting some dots and I see where you're going with this and it's all making sense based on what we learned in that episode um, from the first mm-hmm. watch. Thanks, guys. That was our Facebook feedback. Now we have a couple of emails. All right. Greg sends in his novel and he said, no, I'm just kidding. I love you, Greg. <laughs> Greg, Greg has some thoughts. He does. Uh, I, I spoke with Greg. We had a, um, what, what were we, what were we doing? We were doing something. I don't remember. And I was like, Greg, am I going to see some feedback this week? And he's like, oh yeah. 
it's oh, it's yeah. gonna be a long one i said okay so, <laughs> so it's gonna anyway. be a lot of reading but it's from greg so i know it's gonna be good it's gonna I'm be worth it. it it's gonna be worth it let's see what all right says. and it starts off with whew, so many thoughts i'll start sequentially the wood cuttings were awesome i love the confessional runner throughout the episode and the fact that the confessions and the wood cuttings intertwined eventually for the big reveal was so fucking good when Paul gets sick and Bev follows him to the rectory and recognizes him in the photograph, all of this now falls on her. She now has the burden of knowledge, and anything bad that follows falls on her. I'll get back to the burden on Paul in a minute. The fucking mayor and his wife refuse to share the knowledge of Lisa's healing with anybody else. It feels wrong to interrogate a miracle, to second-guess a gift from God. What in the ever-living fuck is wrong with you? If I offend, my bad. But to prevent other people from potentially being healed is fucking greedy and selfish. Bev... Fuck you, Bev. You know something is fucked when you're just milking it for all you're worth. Aside, maybe she really is a devout clergywoman who feels that miracles happen for no reason, except because it's a part of God's plan, but this isn't the 1800s. Science has its share of miracles, too. Like you know, vaccines. If you don't want to read that part because of political bias, I get it, just how I feel. Hey, we're all going to speak our truth today, Greg. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he goes on and says, She may be a holy person, but I feel like she's a self-righteous... See you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Riley's speech slash soliloquy. I love this entire interaction. His holding Paul to the fire interrogating was great. And looking back on second watch, Paul doesn't give him a straight answer. Just what he would say to someone else. Everybody feels better montage. This whole scene was uplifting until you know the end of the story. The dancing of the Flynn's, everybody in the church, Lisa with Riley's brother, Riley and Aaron, the doc's mom, all showing how one miracle can bring the town together. And all it took was a supernatural infusion of lifeblood out of the flask. Paul's sermon slash burden, I want to talk about Paul. His sermon comes from a place of faith, as in, he had faith and was eventually rewarded. Through a mystery, an angel. Now we may see a blood drinker with wings as a creepy as fuck vampire, but Paul was lost, both, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, and by the sacrament of the angel's blood, he was restored. And he doesn't feel beholden to this wondrous creature, he feels grateful, and just wants to share his gift with the broken people of his town. He truly seems to only want to heal his people, and the only way he knows how is to share the blood bond. And because he knows the heart of his community, he shares it in a way that they would accept, as a part of Jesus' blood. They're already drinking the blood of Christ, now they are also drinking the blood of their true Savior. So for this reason, I don't blame Paul for what he's doing. He's making his congregation whole again, as he was made whole. Just saying, Hamish Linklater sold the shit out of this performance. Mm -hmm. Lisa and Joe, I thought was a good scene, but overshadowed to me by the other scenes in the episode. The school forum, fuck you, Bev. Just listening to her talk pisses me off. I imagine you'll cover it in depth, but damn it, she makes me mad. AA meeting with Joe was touching, although now that I think about it, I think Paul may have poisoned the dog to drive Joe to rock bottom, you know, to help him. I don't know if there was something outside Ollie's window, but I couldn't see it. Ah, lucky you. <laughs> says, when Paul goes into his convulsions, no one calls the doc. What the actual fuck? Then Bev calls him Monsignor as he's recovering. And then he's okay, because, you know, that's how miracles work. I don't know if Paul is a familiar or what, but he doesn't seem to have the obligation of a servant. Anyway, sorry it was so long, but I really liked this episode. Great. So many great thoughts. Yes. <laughs> wow. That was so great and so insightful, Greg. I I knew you'd have something great to say. And I think that really helps give especially like what he had to say about, you know, talking about Paul wanting to share his gift. With the with the broken people of the town, yeah, he he loves that town. He loves his congregation. He sees how his people are suffering, and you know he that that, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. So I love that. 
Oh, that was really great. Um, Next email we have is from Fran. Uh, She says, seems like a lot happened in this episode. It sure felt longer than 50 odd minutes to me. Looks like we've gone uh, into midnight in the Garden of Vampirism. Sigh. So, really, how scary or macabre is it going to get? Characters had interesting things to say, confess, and express. I found the discussions interesting, at least. So now that we know the two Pruitts, I'm just wondering who's going to put him and his beast down. How Pruitt in the cave being sucked to the brink of death by a demon-fallen angel could have thought that was a pure angel of God is beyond me. The angels of God described in the Bible are spiritual warriors of uh, beings of light who do God's bidding. But of course, this isn't the first time we see the depiction of a supposed man of the cloth who doesn't have any real understanding of the scripture or gospel he is supposed to be preaching. Looks like old man Pruitt was falling away from his faith while also suffering dementia. Did you notice how the demon vampire seemed intrigued by Pruitt calling him an angel? And that's when it seemed to decide to have Pruitt drink of him. But let's not ever equate the precious blood of Christ shed for our sins as the Lamb of God with demonic vampiric blood. It seemed the director was making a correlation in scenes of communion with where the story is going. And for and as for me, I'll not agree with any of that ever. But has young man Pruitt been skipping his blood diet? And that's why he's getting sick. I must say his death scene in front of the others was crazy, gory, and you could feel the shock of the onlookers. Then he takes a breath. Wow. Okay. Good actors, interesting dialogue. Uh, thankfully, it's only seven episodes, so I'll probably stick with it just to see what happens to them. But really, another town plagued by vampires? Eh. Till next, blessings, Fran in New York. So Fran's got some opposing thoughts. Yeah, and I was worried, because I've, I've kind of seen through, you know, even like the last shows we covered and stuff from Fran's messages, I can tell that she is a, a woman of faith. And mm-hmm. so we do get that kind of here that, yeah, that, that did kind of cross a line for her and was a little bothersome. And I can totally respect and understand that, too. I, I totally see this show can be triggering for both sides um, mm-hmm. of, of the coin. Folks who... Um, you know, believe different things. And, um, you know, so I, I, I like seeing this opinion, you know, and kind of yeah. getting, getting your thoughts. So I, I appreciate your opinion, um, Fran and welcome it. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting to see what your thoughts are, um, in that. So thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. Um, okay. We did get some calls this week as well. Dig them up here. So from our friend Eric, let's see what he has to say. Hey, Raymond Pick, this is Eric. Uh, man, I missed out on a lot there at the end of episode two uh, between the uh, poor Broski getting eaten by the vampire thing and uh, the extremely powerful scene of uh, Father Paul getting Lisa to step up out of that wheelchair and take communion uh and then this episode three as well just amazing amazing uh what a powerhouse of a show um man in that uh scene where um father paul tells the um two altar boys to uh go on ahead and he'll finish taking care of the communion wine when they uh came back uh to see him filling the wine up out of his uh, flask i really thought they were gonna walk on in him maybe like dripping some of his blood or, or something weird like that uh into the communion wine um and then at the end of the episode when when uh 
poor Father Paul keels over uh, and uh, comes back to life in, in Bev's arms. Kind of thought he was just going to uh, go to town and uh, have a little Bev snack right there in front of uh, Lisa's parents. Uh, I also really enjoyed the scene where Monsignor Pruitt uh, wanders through the desert and finds the little vampire cave there. Uh, kind of reminded me a lot of the uh, Exorcist prequel movie that came out um, somewhere in the mid-2000s. But uh, really appreciate your coverage. This show definitely deserves uh, deep consideration and a thorough going through. Uh, so I appreciate what you all are doing on the podcast. Thanks. Man, thank you. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's such a pleasure to hear from you. Yeah. So really appreciate that. Okay. Sounds like um, our next voicemail is from Laura, our good friend. Um, she has just notated that uh, it's a long one. So <laughs> again, I think there's some thoughts here, but we're we're gonna we're gonna hear you out, Laura. So let's see what she has to say. Hi, Rima and Paige. It's Lara. I know a lot of people might find this show to be too slow a burn for a horror series, but I feel there's so much here that I can't even cover it in my voice veils, but I'll give it a shot. Um, I have got five points, and my number one is, you nailed it, Rima. I think we are dealing with vampires here, or at least vampire creatures. Though I feel the twist on the traditional narrative of vampires with um, Monsignor Pruitt believing that this creature is an angel is, is a bit of a twist on that narrative. Um, biblically, demons are fallen angels, and the creature did save the priest with his blood, so is it angelic? Um, did it keep him alive in order to employ him for some more demonic purpose? Can we assume Paul is maybe using the creature, or is the creature using him? Knowing Flanagan's past work, I can't say 100%, because what might uh, seem evil at first may be a little more nuanced. Um, number two, I just love that musical montage where we see Crockett Island literally coming back to life, set to Neil Diamond's Holy Holy. Holy Holly. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, as a child of the 70s, I really love Flanagan's use of that 70s, early 70s, mid-70s soft rock. Um, it seems to just really complement the aesthetic of this tiny island sort of lost in time. Number three, oh, damn you, Mike Flanagan. You know how to make me cry. That confrontation between Lisa and Joe just had me in tears. Lisa was so honest and brutal in her words to Joe, but also so generous in her forgiveness. Um, in my opinion, this is how forgiveness is meant to be. It's not easy, it's not pretty, but like Lisa said, it freed her of her hatred and it frees Joe of his guilt so that maybe both are able to move on to a better life. Number four... Did Mike Flanagan study theology? Because that was quite the debate between um, Sheriff Hassan and Bev. I feel I'm sort of in Erin's camp in how she has her faith and it has special meaning to her, but she begrudges no one else their freedom to have their beliefs and takes issue with someone as sanctimoniously bel belittling as Bev Keen. Uh, number five, man, Father Paul. 
you know, from the start, I wondered if Father Paul would have any relation to the Apostle Paul from the Bible. Uh, sure enough, we find out that Monsignor Pruitt, like Saul, finds a re- revelation in the desert and becomes a totally different person, changes his name to Paul, and goes forth into the world to spread the word of God, or in Father Paul's case, uh, the blood of a demon, maybe? But Father Paul is a far more complicated character than I, you know, initially suspected. He's not a one-dimensional malicious vampire or even a minion of the devil. No, he's just the opposite. He seeks to do good and bring redemption and rebirth, um, you know, like Rima said, in reference to Easter for his citizens on Crockett Island. But... This poses the question of, is it okay to use tools of evil to bring about a greater good? Um, I think, looking at our human history, the answer would be no. But, so many times good people will compromise their values because they feel that they have a, a greater calling or a greater purpose. And, sorry to risk sounding like a broken record, but I am gushing over how amazing Hamish Linklater's performance is. You can feel his just pure sincerity in his desire to inspire and heal this community from his rousing sermons and his more intimate discussions with Riley and Joe. Just a few notes, that scene where Lisa knocks on the window um, at at Warren's house (laughs) gave me the old Salem's Lot Lot creeps. Uh, You can probably guess what scene it was if you are familiar with that movie. And if Father Paul is actually a younger version of Monsignor Pruitt, why did he wear the gold robes on his first day? Was he telling the truth that his older self put the green robes somewhere and he couldn't find them? Uh, So the wearing of the feast day's robes is still a mystery. And the name of the series, Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass in Catholicism is generally held on Christmas Eve, but also on the eve of Easter. So... I am going to predict that this series is going to conclude on Easter's Eve, and props to Mike Flanagan for bringing intelligent writing and dramatic characterization to uh, the horror genre. Those are my notes, and I am really looking forward to the next episode and podcast. Oh, man. (laughs) We have the best listeners ever. I know, and I love all of the feedback so much because there's so many great theories and thoughts and you know we get a lot of you know them saying you know thanks to us for breaking a lot of things down but we have so much gratitude to you guys for also really digging in and giving us some great stuff to think about too oh my god yeah like i said i love listening to this and, and hearing what you guys have to say we i'm just i'm grateful there's so much discussion to be had and i love that everyone loves it and has these opinions and thoughts and agrees with me in some things it's always nice to hear that (laughs) anyway thank you laura so much that was that was just absolutely beautiful thank you for sharing that um last voicemail we have is from our good friend steve let's see what his thoughts are this week hey remen peg it's steve and this is for midnight mass episode three for reels this time i just noticed this episode is over an hour one hour and six minutes wow Nice. It appears that uh, we're going to get the story of the Monsignor. Isn't that interesting? Just after he, the girl is healed, he has to go cough up some blood. Mm. Of course, they hear about a miracle and they all come running. 
<laughs> this is funny because Riley giving, you know, a rational explanation for how she could have, uh, you know, healed over the years. But he's like, but how did you know? No, this isn't the correct answer, but it's it is faith. Um, I don't I've, I've not talked about religion and my personal beliefs here yet. So another healing. Henry Thomas's character just noticed his back was feeling good. I'm, I'm assuming that's what that meant. And I think he also just noticed that his wife is not using her glasses to read. Okay, prediction. He's going to walk in on something when he w- opens his door. The altar boy, I mean, yeah. I don't remember what his name is. I guess not. Oh, no, that's not good. That He just he just passed out in the middle of his uh, sermon. Oh, Lisa coming to uh, talk to Joe. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Wow, that was powerful. I'm still choked up. Uh, why that speech from Lisa to Joe? That Bev, she really is is a piece of work. I hope I don't come across that way to some people as being a man of faith. So I hope not anyway. I said that in the first episode, didn't I? That it would be hard to have an AA group on this island. But, but here's Joe. You know, uh, we'll see. That's an interesting sentiment from Joe saying that he didn't leave because that would have been easy. That's a very introspective thing to to figure out. What the heck? Is he dead? Is he... And now back to the Monsignor story, but there's like 11 minutes left. I guess it is a vampire thing. Oh my lord. He just woke up and Bev called him the Monsignor. She called him Monsignor. Oh, okay. Can't wait to hear you guys talk about this one. I'm going to I know it's not going to make it to you in time, but whew, I may watch episode four and record for it later tonight. <laughs> Steve man. got his socks blown <laughs> off in there, didn't he? Oh, man, yes. <laughs> so good. So I love some good live steving. We had to take that ride with him right through it. <laughs> yes. That was so great. Um, and just as a side note, Steve, I've never thought you'd come across that way. Just oh, FYI. not at all. Um, Wow. What a a bunch of great feedback. This show is definitely generating some conversation, some debate, some strong opinions. Um, But I I love seeing everyone's participation. It just really warms my heart seeing it. Y'all cause more more work for me to go gather it all and put it together for the show. But I love it. Keep keep bringing it. TV podcaster, we really can't ask for anything better. Uh -uh. You know, like... It's no. Awesome. And I feel like it's so interesting to get everyone's opinions because everyone has different experiences and different beliefs and, um, you know, how everyone's perspectives kind of color what they're watching and how they, they take it and um, getting all of those different opinions and hearing some different insight and things that I didn't think about in a certain way or I couldn't quite articulate. I feel like I... I, I don't feel like I did a very good job um, talking about this week's episode just because I'm still, still – I still feel like I'm kind of processing a little bit. So I don't feel like I have some very good cohesive thoughts in um, what we were discussing. I just felt like I was just kind of like blubbering the whole time. <laughs> so I appreciate everyone's um, patience if you manage to get through <laughs> the end of the podcast. <laughs> anyway, thank you. A thousand times. Thank you, um, everyone, for writing in. I can't wait to hear more from you. Um, Like I said, we're almost at the halfway point. We're at episode three. Mm -hmm. Next week will be episode four. There's only seven. Yeah. My God. We're almost almost there. So speaking of next week, um, we will be covering um, the next episode of Midnight Mass title, or it's titled Book Four Lamentations. 
I hope mm. I'm pronouncing that right. You know, I'm not good yeah. with pronun- pronunciation. Sounds right. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, another another book of the Bible, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, like what that means and how mm-hmm. maybe that kind of correlates with whatever's going to happen in the episode. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I'm hoping I get a chance to watch it yeah. after we're done. Knowing, knowing what that word means and what that book of the Bible and stuff is, uh, it's not going to be a happy episode, I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I feel like there was a good point made when you're watching that montage, um, you know, Laura commented on it, Steve commented on it, you know, talking about like, look how alive everyone is becoming and the good that's coming of that. I feel like there's mm-hmm. definitely going to be a downfall and a dark side um, yeah. of that as well. And it makes me kind of sad because it's nice to kind of see this island kind of come to life um, after the bad mm-hmm. things that's kind of happened there. Um, well, we are excited that you followed us to the crock pot, um, but we ask that you also follow us on Twitter at strange cast. And you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stranger cast. You can email us at stranger things cast pod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV time app. You can find strange indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com and go out and leave a review for strange indeed on Apple podcasts. Yeah, and um, speaking of podcasts, um, you can check out our segment of, let's see, we've been covering Great British Baking Show or Great British Bake Off, whichever version Mm -hmm. that you follow. Um, (laughs) We have had those segments. If you're um, interested in listening, I do try to post when we we, um, have a a bonus segment after, so if you listen to um, our coverage of Midnight Mass to the end, it will follow into um, Great British Bake Off. So that way, if you want to listen, that's where you'll find it. If not, you can just end it from there. Um, But we're having a good time with it. So hope you guys check that out. I'm interested to hear what you guys, you know, think about it if you're kind of digging the coverage. Um, And speaking of other great podcasts, because we're all just podcasts all over the place. We're Uh also busy with podcasts. And Pake, you're doing double duty, not just here, but also on Run For Your Lives. Um, Yeah. What what are you and Daphne doing this week? So this week, I think I've talked about it the past couple of episodes. Uh, so this week released will be our second part of this first double dip we're doing with Dawn of the Dead. So our episode will be covering the 2004 Zack Snyder remake of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. It's my favorite zombie movie of all time. It's the movie that really got me into zombies and that whole thing. And Nice! I'm... It was a great conversation. Uh, it was a blast, honestly, just breaking down my favorite oh, horror nice. movie, my favorite zombie movie. And so, yeah, um, so check that out. It's, it's, a, it's a fun one. Excellent. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> but all right, that is our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima. I'm Pate. And Caroline Swiney is strange indeed. Hey everyone, welcome to our bonus segment dedicated to the Great British Baking Show. This week we're covering Collection 9, also known as Series 12, if you're where <laughs> the show comes from, Episode 2, Biscuit Week. They had some uh, yummy treats this week for biscuits. I'm still, I feel like there's such a range of um, bakes that can make up a biscuit. I feel like you just, you just, I just kind of have a feel for it. If it's a little thing that's kind of sweet and kind of hard, (laughs) then it's a biscuit.
Uh, maybe I think I'm just making it too complicated. I, I need it. I need it defined, and I feel like it's such a broad for me. Anyway, it's too big. But it's all good. But it's all good. It's all good, and it's yummy. That's the um, important part, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't just say it's a cookie because if you had, I mean, they did say chocolate chip cookies, but I think I feel like the it needs to have like a bit of a snap to it. So I don't know. Anyone who knows better yeah, should see, let us know. Yeah, that's what I don't get. This because they want them to have the like a snap, but then like uh, there are things I've seen called biscuits that are more. Um, Shortbread has like a, a bit cookie. of a snap. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I just I'm like I just need, but it's fine. I, I guess it doesn't matter what it's called. If you put it in front of me, <laughs> I'm gonna eat it. So <laughs> it doesn't. I don't care what you call it. Um, so for. This week, um, did you have a particular favorite bake? Well, first off, like the whole ginger snap thing, I don't think I've ever had one of those before. I and, either. Uh, they were, I was really fixated on that part of mm. the show this week because, I mean, I don't even know what, I mean, the ginger snap itself is made from ginger, but I didn't catch what else. But it's all lacy and it looked, you know, crunchy and good. And then it looks so but, pretty. For me, um, the, like the cream filling, I love that kind of thing. And it's there was a lot of coffee and hazelnut and uh, chocolate. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I, thought, I want I all Freya, that. <laughs> Freya, as soon as I saw Freya um, having all that espresso, I was like, oh, I, yes. I, I can guess what what one of Jason's favorites. Yeah, would be. and it was fun. It was great because. Uh, Paul was like, oh, that's a bit strong. How much did you put in there? And she said, eight tablespoons. And he's like, oh. And then uh, Rue was like, well, I liked it. So I thought <laughs> yeah. I would like it too. But there was uh, Chig's Boozy Coffee Cream and Rochica's Coffee coffee and Irish Cream Filled Brandy Snap in a cone shape. I liked how they were different shapes too. Mm-hmm. And she had chocolate and hazelnuts all over it. And even those, uh, well, Giuseppe had what's called a Giandula Snap, which is like chocolate with hazelnut paste and you're gonna have a spice oh, chai gosh, yeah. it, it all seemed really good to me i i and and they you know they uh, most of those turned out really well too mm-hmm. and i'm like man they sure know how to make this kind of stuff better than they know how to make brownies on this show say so there's still the brownie <laughs> fail yeah. of 2020 <laughs> yeah it was a tragedy <laughs> but i love i thought this segment was really cool because they were all like different shapes but they all had flavors that i like and textures that i know i would like so i was into it Mm-hmm. And I've never had a brandy snap either. I mm-hmm. I I don't even know if if there would be any place here that you can get them. I know. In. I was thinking that. I, like, I need to look this up. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm, that's just a lazy part of me. I guess I could try to make them, but you know. And I guess if 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 you know, I'm not being judged, and I've got actually like the time in my kitchen, and I, I'm like not timed to do right. what they are. I might actually be able to. Pull Rima, you have off, five but... minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh <laughs> so my god! Get the fuck out of here. Everything's a mess. Yeah, it, that, that would be bad. Um, yeah, there were a lot of goons, and I think most everyone did pretty well. Um, yeah, I can't remember like, any. Eh, a little soggy. Yeah, or, one of them you know. fell apart, but Bruce said she'd like to make a, um, a pudding out of it. Yeah, it was it good. Maggie's black currant brandy snaps? Like the the, the filling, mm. I think, made hers just a little soggy. soggy they weren't yeah. as snappy, but they tasted good. She said that they tasted nice, but just not like the snap of like a brandy snap or whatever. Uh, I go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. You go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, um, I, I really thought like Jurgens, uh, that cup of chai brandy snap, I thought mm-hmm. sounded really good. And, and Freya's um, looked really nice too. Yeah. She might've had, uh, I, I think I would have liked it, but I, maybe a little, I like coffee, but if it was that strong, I don't know. I don't want it overly strong. No, yeah. I'm just flavor, saying the, but, um, the look of it, I yes. noticed was really nice too. Well, I like Christelle's. Hers might've been my favorite, the apple of my pie. Oh yeah. Uh, that wasn't snaps. even on my radar. Yeah, it looked really <laughs> yummy to me and pretty. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, the other the other two segments I wasn't really as focused on the um, jammy biscuit thingy or whatever. Those are good. I've had those, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I thought it was funny how the the judges were pretty harsh. Like Paul said, I could stick this to the wall. Like I could use this to stick a poster her, to the wall. <laughs> Just I felt like, so oh. bad for her. She, um, yeah, that was Christelle. I felt yeah. so bad. Her, her, her jam or jelly looked like a fruit roll up. She messed up <laughs> somehow. Yeah, yeah. She, she overdid it. it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, Jurgen won, and Giuseppe got second. So that rivalry is playing mm-hmm. out, where Giuseppe tries his best and doesn't quite come up to Jurgen's level. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, Jurgen's got that like physicist and analytical background, Giuseppe's an engineer, and you always see those yeah. guys do really, really well. So it's fun to see those two but, competing with each other. Uh, Frey is close. I, I don't know if she got third mm-hmm. or fourth in technical, but she's uh, doing pretty third. well. Yeah. I could see her uh, being a contender, you know. Mm-hmm. She she pretty much kicked ass. Her uh, rocking horse at the end was awesome. It was. It was really great. And Amanda, the detective police detective her horse looked amazing if it would have just held together it looked really cool i know and rochica's pinball game was awesome i was like you're never gonna pull that off and she totally did that was (laughs) totally awesome i loved seeing her succeed like that and her uh signature was good too Mm Hmm. yeah it's and it was interesting to see such and i say it's easy like i could get up there and do it but um something simple like the jammy biscuit Mm -hmm. really they struggled with that. And, um, you know, it, 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 when you look at it, at least, it's like, well, that's just a simple biscuit cookie. But that just really seemed, and I don't know if maybe the temperature had something to do with it. You know, they were talking about how warm it was. Yeah. And, you know, trying to keep the, the consistency of their dough at just a certain um, cooling point because it had, you know, the short, shortbread has mm. so much butter in it. Um, they had to, yeah, so. it was interesting. They had to, like, put it in the freezer for a while before they baked it or else it wouldn't hold together. I, mm-hmm. it's, see, it does seem very scientific to me. Yeah. The um, Ted Lasso biscuits called for that too. When mm. I made those, you had to make your dough and then it's, it has a cool lot of butter in it. So you have to put it back in the fridge to let it cool before you can um, get it ready to set and then bake it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. So I don't know. If, I, I don't know. It just, it's interesting to me to see these super talented people and the complicated things that they can pull off when you see what they can pull off in their showstoppers and how, you know, beautiful and artistic and complicated these, because I'm like, I can't, I could never, I could never, ever, ever do anything like that. Um, but yet yeah, something like a Jamie Biscuit, they're kind of like, oh, man, I just... <laughs> I mean, it's also in the That's technical, dumb. and the instructions mm-hmm. say, make the dough or whatever, so and it's they true. haven't it's had true. practice. But yeah, it is more complicated to do it really well sometimes. They can't even get brownies right. Jeez. But uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so of the... Like, the the whole thing about making a toy out of biscuit, um, I'm like, eh, that's cool. It looks nice, but it didn't 
it didn't, you know, it seemed like the eating was only secondary. So maybe that's why it didn't interest me as much. But as far as the ginger snaps just looked so delicious, but, um, mm-hmm. and pretty, but of the toys, I liked, uh, probably Freya's rocking horse and, and Jurgen's windmill best. and yeah. would have been Amanda's horse if it held together. I think that had it held together, I think the design of it was really pretty, like the paint or well, I know it wasn't paint, the icing that she had it. Yeah. Um, it looked painted great. It was, was, and even just the pretty. shape, the shape of the horse looked really nice. I think everything Artistic. was great. It just, I think that her choice, unfortunately, of doing the sugar cookie versus like yeah. the more sturdy, uh, like a gingerbread, gingerbread is what, what failed her. But, like but yeah, said, the design she, was beautiful. I did it twice before, so it's kind of frustrating that it doesn't work the way it did at home. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, um, I liked, uh, Freya's Winnie, her horse. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I thought the I thought the vanity was kind of a cute idea. Oh yeah, that looked good too. Christelle. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was it. But I thought I thought they were so imaginative. Like George had the the airplane that was able to spin around. Uh, yeah, to me that's windmill. like it's it's got all this machinery and it's all thick and I'm just like oh, it just seems like a waste of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna nobody's gonna eat that <laughs> but i guess it's cool <laughs> yeah well none of it honestly i mean it was it was pretty like aesthetically it was really pretty yeah. but i wouldn't really want i didn't want it like eat the whole thing of it. i didn't want to eat any of it i don't i don't like gingerbread oh, okay. i don't like gingerbread at all so it is not appealing to me i think it's, right. it's pretty but I wouldn't, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it looks great. I bet it tastes great, but I'm not going to have it. We've been so. making a gingerbread house every year around the holidays and um, putting frosting a little like candies on it and stuff. And uh, I always eat like more of it than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never, never fear of me eating anyone's gingerbread house. <laughs> we make them for sure. It was something that we always had tradition in our house. Uh, me and the kiddo would always do a gingerbread mm. house um, or at least uh, a gingerbread something. We we right. try to change it up a little bit instead of just a house. I know one year we did uh, little gingerbread ninjas and did a whole <laughs> thing with like little ninjas. It's so, fun to say. Um, gingerbread ninjas. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I don't eat it. Ninja eat they just sit there and look cute. <laughs> I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Anything else you want to talk about as far as the bakes or the challenges? Okay. Um, were there any standout moments for you? Or there anything were too that- many. Uh, yeah, th- this show does a great job of just giving you little jo- jolts of uh, what do you call it? Endorphins, you know? Because mm-hmm. it, it's it's fun, and um, I think my favorite was when <laughs> Paul went over to Lizzie and was like, "What's that on top?" That's the fast food clagginess that you get, you know, like congealed <laughs> stuff. Oh, delicious. Well, I don't know how to make it sound nice. Well, don't say congealed. Yeah, <laughs> That's hilarious. Not a good word. <laughs> and then, well, why don't we take turns? What do you, what one stood out to you? Well, the, my top one, I'll just, because I, I feel like we're probably going to have some of the same ones. My top yeah, one, and it's not... Turns. It's unfortunately not um, a super positive one, but the big one for me was when Amanda's toy rocking horse fell apart um, because it was just such a devastating moment when, mm. um, you know, someone works so hard and uh, they put all this work into it and then it just 
falls apart. I was glad that she presented it. It still reminds yeah. me to this day of that one season where that one guy was so um, disgusted with himself and just so angry that threw he threw his trash. whole thing in the trash and didn't even present. And he just walked away and left. Yeah. And, um, I'm like, well, at least she presented something because they said I it think on my good. worst day, that could be me. So. I know. I hate to say anything. I hate to because I'm like I could totally see it. I just throw everything in the in the garbage um, and just completely disgusted with myself. But so yeah, my microphone in my computer after a bad podcast one time just threw it out the window. Yeah. Well, just kidding. I've had plenty of moments. (laughs) So you know whatever. But um, but I mean. At least she still presented it, and she was kind of like, yep, you know, it just didn't hold up. I practiced it. It did great, and it just yeah. today it didn't. Um, but it tasted good. So, I mean, that's why yeah. you still want to just try to present something, because it might look bad or not like you had planned it. But, it, you know, they still it still has a taste good. So She's a detective, or she was. I don't know if she mm-hmm. – I think she still is. She's really interesting to me. She's clearly a strong person who knows how to hold her shit together. And, you know, she was upset, but she just reached for, like, a cookie and just goes, I need comfort. Started eating some. Yeah, and he, he was, like, putting some buttercream on there for you. Yeah. He's like, yes, yes, I need. I so relate. She's yeah. interesting, yeah. I like her. I hope she sticks around for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so my turn. Uh, let's see. I liked when Matt Baker's, you have one hour left, and Noel goes, Tuh. Then he goes, I'm not sure that was divided up fairly. those things are hit or miss you know they're little interlude things but that one made me laugh (laughs) yeah yeah it it varies from week to week for me or sometimes yeah yeah, sometimes they they hit and other times i'm just kind of like eh, i didn't do it for me yeah if they don't then it's like oh well whatever it's no big deal but when they do hit funny yeah um i liked one when uh noel was standing by Christelle and she was taking, I think it was during the technical challenge with, she had her Jamie biscuits uh, and she was taking them out of the oven and they slid off the sheet, the, the sheet pan. <laughs> yeah, She's goes, like, Oh no, no. He's like, what's wrong with what's you? What's wrong with you? Right after they'd given her shit about having a mess yeah. over there. That's I just laughed because I thought um, it was just funny to like call her out on it. Yeah. Just instead of having a lot of sympathy, which I know he had sympathy for. Yeah. Him, I know that Noel. Has you got to be able to um, read who can. Who, take yeah, that who, who can take it? Right and she way. took it. She took it. She's yeah. like, it's okay. I've got spares. I figure um, he must know funny. based on his interaction with her that she will laugh at that and not take offense to it. You know. Yeah, but, but it's it was- so funny. It's because they, they, they can't really help or do anything. They're just there to kind of relieve some of the tension and some of the stress. And it's like, well, what's wrong with you? I Don't mean, say that to the wrong person and they might just get up and throw it all in the trash, you know? <laughs> I know. You're right. Yeah. But I thought that was funny. Yeah. I laughed. Me too. Uh, I liked when um, when Amanda's horse broke down and Matt said, I'll get in the TARDIS and we'll go back in time. I've done it before. To me, that's priceless because he was on uh, Doctor Who for a couple of seasons recently. Oh, that's right. I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, as an alien companion. And that's where I know him from. And I'm like, oh, he brought in Doctor Who. I think he could probably only do that once, but I loved it. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of a few other moments that I had. Those were the two, I think, that really stood out more for me. I mean, there's always... You know, again, just the moments of, you know, how they 
comfort each other and how they help each other. I know, um, oh gosh, and I've forgotten her name. Um, one of the, you know, when the bakers help each other, you know, hold, mm-hmm. like hold this. And I know that Freya was helping Amanda uh, with her horse. And oh, I liked it when she's like, um, she's like, oh, legs are broke. And she's like, what do they do with legs with broken horses or, or horses with broken legs? And Freya's like, they shoot them. It's, just, <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Yeah. And we, I don't know if we already knew this, but we found out she races horses. So she knows all about that. Oh, I must have missed that in her mm-hmm. um, profile or missed it somewhere along the line. That's so I had a few more. Um, they they ding George for his mastica ginger snaps looking messy. And he looked ashamed and said, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. and I really disliked having to serve that up. And Prue said, well, you should take comfort in the fact that they really are both original and sensational. And he's like, oh, I loved seeing that, uh, mm-hmm. how emotions can turn on a dime there, you know. And yep. he was feeling ashamed. And then all of a sudden he was puffed up with pride. We go on that journey with him. It's a nice feeling. <coughs> um, yeah. I was thinking uh, Lizzie was putting too much icing on her, uh, those jammy things, too mm-hmm. much like powder. And then Paul said, you don't, you, you want the icing to highlight stuff, not hide stuff. We will find it. <laughs> yeah. And he's right. They always do. Even yeah. the smallest thing. I mean, think, I don't know oh, if that was her that. idea, but <laughs> she did put a lot on there. Uh, mm-hmm. I like when one of they'll show one of the contestants saying, um, whatever you do, do not blah, blah, blah. And then the camera cuts to someone else doing the thing that they said, they just said not to do. Like one of them was yeah. saying, don't rush the mixing or whatever. Then you see someone go, Oh, I got her here. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one, I just like Noel saying that he jumped through a mirror once and that's how he ended up in the tent and he hasn't figured out how to get out. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to jump through the, the mirror of her vanity. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, cute. Yeah. Christelle. I love those guys. Just <laughs> always makes the, the episodes just always make me smile. So another feel good mm-hmm. episode for sure. Um, do you have a favorite or standout baker? Anyone different from than who you had last week? Or well, I guess I was noticing Freya more this time. I, mm-hmm. you know, she got third in the technical. Her um, her signature was awesome. I mean, too much coffee, but. It looked great, and Prue liked it, and mm-hmm. Paul was just like, a little too much. Uh, and then the the uh, showstopper with her really nicely done rocking horse, I think she she could be a contender, but I was Absolutely. still like, oh yeah, Giuseppe and Jurgen, those, like, Jurgen, Jurgen, are the two on top, and I like Giuseppe saying, this is the bake-off, it needs to be ambitious, or what's the point? Uh, that was cool. And... Um, I liked, uh, it was interesting to find out that Freya races horses and that Christelle has a degree in French and Spanish. And the guy who uh, left Jarzeno or something. Yep. He, yeah, I could see, like, when you saw Giuseppe uh, squeezing some, like, creme pat or whatever onto his ginger snap, it was so delicately done and perfect. And then it cuts over to Jar- Jarzino and he's just like slopping it in there <laughs> and it's like yeah you're a bit too sloppy I think I, I wasn't surprised that he left he seemed like a nice guy yeah I mean I felt really <laughs> I always feel bad for everyone when they leave yeah. but um I was kind of surprised that he he didn't get tossed off Last the time. first episode because he he was um he had some struggles um he was kind of sloppy and he wasn't finishing things on time and because he wasn't um he was having to rush through his finishing work wasn't 
really great. So I almost thought he should have been the one to leave last week. Not that he's not talented. It just sounds like he's, you know, he's like, oh, I'm used to cooking in my own kitchen. You know, when you've got all day to cook something and you're not, you know, restricted to like a two hour or however long they give them time frame, you know, of course you could probably do a better job. So I'm sure he's a very talented. I mean, he wouldn't be on there if, um, you know, well, he hadn't earned a spot. But it was um, Amanda who was like, I don't get it. His flavors are good. Well, someone has to go. I think he's probably the type of cook that makes some really good tasting stuff, but he just wasn't one of those like detail oriented ones that could make it look really yeah, that's, tightly well done, you know? That's me. Yeah, um, yeah. Everyone. I don't, the, I, mean, I, don't have the, I don't have the patience. Who does? You know, sometimes. <laughs> and usually I'm like, I just want to eat this right now. So I hurry up and, you know, my cake's too warm. So I throw some icing on it or I decorate it or something. And it, you know, I can do the work, but I'm just, I usually just don't have the patience for it. It's um, just really interesting to me how it's an extension of their personality, mm-hmm. how neatly done their things are and how intricate and detailed or not. You know, they tend to be yeah. pretty consistent about. Uh, each of these bakers about how well they are how well they do with that kind of stuff and this guy his stuff was pretty much all kind of sloppy yeah he <laughs> struggled tasty. on this episode yeah, yeah. I'd say, i'm sure it tasted great but yeah it, it has to has to look nice mm-hmm. as well and it can't just look good but it has a taste good we've had you know lots of bakers come through that or sometimes they fall on either or of the spectrum sometimes their flavor doesn't hit the mark but it looks really pretty or neat um, the way that they want it, but you gotta you gotta check both the boxes. So so yeah, um, Jorzino had to go, and Jurgen got Star Baker again. Yeah. I love that Giuseppe's like calling him what, what, like what the German Terminator or something like that. Mm. <laughs> Can't be stopped. <laughs> that was, yeah, that that was. <laughs> yeah, that was I cute. can tell. It's got to be frustrating because he knows he's good, Giuseppe, mm-hmm. and, and but he just can't quite. But I. I don't know. I'd be surprised if Giuseppe doesn't get Star Baker at least once in all of this. I bet he will. I yeah. bet he will. You can't. And there's probably some things that Jurgen isn't as good at. That usually happens. You know, I was going to say there's someone's going to run away with it, and then they have a bad week. They have a bad week, or they have a challenge. Uh, there's always one of the weeks that someone who consistently does really well, and you just think, dang, they're just good at everything. But then there will be that one week that is something they're not very experienced with. They, they don't do very well at it, so they don't bake it at home. And so they might or, – or they could just have an off week. But, um, you know, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Giuseppe will be able to uh, come out on top. But it's it's fun to see them. I, I enjoy watching them work. They're so, um, like, particular with, you know, the measuring and how careful um, they are when they're, you know, just putting their things together. And I was like, wow, I really wish um, wish I could – you know, do that. So, and I bet, God, it just tastes amazing. So I still really love Christelle. I, I, I really love her personality. I mean, I think all these guys are great, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I they always she's pick a really great bunch like, of people, but you want to get to know and stuff. I would totally love to just hang out or bake in the kitchen with Christelle. And, and it looks like she's also a good cook, not just a good baker, but um, I just, I love her personality. I think she's really sweet and smart and funny. Um, she, a little bit of myself, her little messy station, they were kind of giving her a hard time about that. And, and then she was um, baking, and I don't remember which challenge it was, but she was going from like the stove area across um, the her work area to like the sink or something. And she nearly knocked over like that big bowl or whatever. Um, and it just, it cracked me up because it's just like, I totally, that's just so me in the kitchen that I, it's such a hurry and I'm over here and I'm knocking crap over and everything's falling and I got spills and um, I just think she's sweet and delightful. 
totally love to get to know her as a as a person so but i think there's a lot of great ones on here i think giuseppe is really cool i like your again he's a little bit a little eccentric um you know well, it was great I, at the end when he told whoever he called maybe his partner i was I don't wondering know, who he called brother um, his partner i got the bigger again <laughs> i know i know he's he's just he's he's cute in a adorable kind of way mm-hmm. um, yeah they all seem just thinking about it now they all seem pretty likable sometimes there's one one or two that i don't think are super likable but i can't think of anyone that i don't think is likable there's definitely some quirky ones like lizzie and lizzie's quirky Jurgen and yeah. even the older woman's a bit quirky maggie but seems real I sweet. Like, and i like maggie she yeah. she's like um, I don't know, just like everybody's grandma, and she's just the sweetest. I know she. Well, there she was had some flirtation, some or like talk about butts or something. I didn't quite get that, <laughs> but she's like, "I'm a little too old for that, but it sounds nice, though." <laughs> yeah, and I think Noel was talking about um, Paul's butt, Bottom. I guess, and, <laughs> and said that it looked like two 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 moons Beige or something. Moons I don't or know. And, yeah, I don't. I don't. I was just like, whatever. Um, but yeah, that was. That was cute. So yeah, I, I I like a lot of a lot of folks in here, but I'm still I'm I'm rooting for Christelle so cool. far. So so yeah. All right. Anything else that you want to say about this week's episode? Yeah, it's a good one. I liked it. Next week is bread week. Oh my gosh, that one's gonna be this one gets people because this is Paul's week right here. Yep. Paul is the bread guy, and boy, he. He's in his element, and he does not hold back. <laughs> yeah, he's super particular. Yeah, about it all, and I love bread week. Like, oh my gosh, I love bread. Makes you, yeah, makes you want to eat it all. Yes, yeah. So yeah, you're right. Next week we're covering episode three uh, from the season, which is bread week. Um, I can't wait. I, I I love to see the interesting breads. Um, well, I mean, just in general, the whole show always um, is interesting because it there's so many foods I've never even heard of or been exposed to, and then I I, I find it and I want to either make it if I can't find it locally, but I'm usually trying. I'm going the the lazy way out. I want to go try to buy it or find a place that sells it if I can, um, or I want to try to make it. Um, I love being introduced to to new foods. So, all right. So I guess until next week then. Um, we'll be back and, and maybe Pake will be back. I didn't mention it. Pake wasn't able to join us this week. Um, so hopefully he'll be back next week yeah, so we can talk so. some bread. Bread week. Um, Pake hates bread. <laughs> who hates bread? <laughs> I love it. I don't eat it very often, but I love it so much. Um, anyway, Jason, are there any updates that you want to provide for Podcastica or talk about what you're doing right now on Podcastica? Yeah, we're finishing up What If next week. And then um, Greg, Ben, and Wendy are going to cover Wheel of Time on House Podcastica. Nice. Which is a Robert Jordan series based on the Robert Jordan fantasy series of novels. There's like 14 or 15 of them. I don't really know that much about it, but I know it's a big deal. And I think it's on Amazon. And it's coming out in November. So they're going to start covering that. Then... You and me and Richard are all going to continue our coverage of Cobra Kai when that premieres in late December, like the last day of December. Yep. And we're going to, me and my friends uh, Eric and Chris from the Talking Dead podcast are going to cover Book of Boba Fett, which premieres right around that same time, December 
ninth, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have like three podcasts going on. I mean, three shows being covered on House Podcastica all at the same time. You'll be like glued to your microphone, won't you? <laughs> well, I'm not on the Wheel of Time one, so I'll just be listening right, on that that's one. that's true. And then, yeah, we're finishing up the first part of, of Walking Dead over on Walking Dead Cast. The first uh, eight episodes are almost over, and then we'll get into World Beyond, and we'll probably talk about Fear of the Walking Dead just a little bit, but as little as possible. Keep it, sh- keep it very short. <laughs> yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Is that what it's going to, like, oh, it, thumbs up, oh, yeah, thumbs who down. Knows? It's, I, it's a challenge <laughs> for me. Like, I thought these... Bake off segments were going to be ten minutes. It's it's a real challenge for me to keep it short. Well, <laughs> we like to talk. Yeah, so it's yeah. It, it's a it's a, a challenge to try and keep it short. Yeah, it's yeah we have opinions <laughs> even about baking. So <laughs> yeah, I know you can pretty much anything. I'll have opinions on. <laughs> I know, same. Most everything. I am the same. Well, that's interesting. A lot lot of updates, and then we have. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, and that's the other thing is locking. Oh, do we know I was about say, that? Have you talked about it? Um, I mean, yeah, I, we've told everyone that okay. that's our plan. You know, we're, yes. we're covering Midnight Mass currently, and then, and then it's going to flow right into Lock and, lock key, and key, and you are joining for that. I'm so. stoked about that. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, and it'll be fun to have Pake on. Last time it was just you and me, but it'll be great. Yeah, it's it should be great. I I was. Um, surprised by season one it turned out you know i I enjoyed it more than what i thought i would so uh i'm really stoked for season two Um, so yeah you'll be joining us for that whoever does the harry potter music out of there and get some (laughs) yeah remember you hated that music so bad i I think that might have been your major complaint the the whole went along i know (laughs) it's like if you're that was your complaint It's like, okay, this is a little weird, but let's say you're in the middle of sex and then you hear some like, dee, 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 dee. It's like, kind of kills the mood a little bit. You, know? <laughs> you got to have the right music. <laughs> it works. <laughs> That's good analogy, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they, because the comic, I, I hope it's okay to go on a little bit about this, but the comic was uh, basically a horror comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a dash of fantasy. And they've talked about this, showrunners. They decided to make it more like mostly fantasy with a dash of horror. And I'm like, oh, that actually worked pretty well. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, didn't like the idea of that, but I thought the way they executed it was, was pretty good. I think I might have liked it a little more if they would have not quite gone that far away from the horror, but still, it was it was great. I love the show, but the Harry Potter music just it, there were were some moments that could have been a lot tenser if there wasn't all this magical the music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I I definitely can't um, disagree. You felt the same, yeah, yeah. So maybe I, I'll try not to. If that if it's the same this year, I'm not going to go on and on about it, but. Well, that's okay. I'll I mean, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't like it, it's okay to say so. But I, yeah. I agree. Hopefully, um, you know, it'll, adjust it'll a little. follow a little darker tone to kind of fit with the show. I think it's fine for the lighter moments of the yeah. show. And then it's like okay. the darker moments, you need to have the the appropriate tone, mm-hmm. I, I feel. Because music can make a big difference. When right. And I think for it. some reason when Walking Dead started, Bear McCreary, he wanted to uh, not do typical horror movie stuff. So the music was different, but I think as time has gone on on the walking dead, they've realized, well, that works for a reason because it helps build tension and jump scares punctuated with a, or can really (laughs) get you jumping, you know? And so I, they've incorporated some of the more traditional styles of music back into that show. And I think it's a good thing. 
Yeah, music is so important in a show. Yeah. I think the music for Bake Off is it's so on. good. Yeah, it's so good. It is perfect. It's perfect. So, well, we'll end with that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, bring it back around. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <clears throat> on your marks. Get set. Bake. Bake. <laughs>